Hello and welcome to episode 186 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode Breaking the Internet in honor of one of the big topics of the week or uh, the bi-week, whatever you call this two-week period, and that is Bowsette and Toad and Switch Online. So it's actually three topics, but Switch Online is the big one. It's here. It has a bunch of online NES games, and we've got impressions later in the show of that. We're also going to discuss the surprise closing of Telltale Games the news or lack thereof from the Tokyo Game Show, the latest NPD sales numbers, and impressions of uh, Switch tiles like the Garners Between and the one you've been playing, which I'm blanking on the name of all of a sudden. A Case of Untrust? I mean, you should be saying it as a statement, not a question. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, a, case a Case of, of Distrust. It's a Case of Mistrust. A Case of Distrust. 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 You would think we would know, because you would think you would know, because you've been literally playing it. Well, but I'm going through a Case of Distrust right about now. About the name? Apparently so. Um, but yeah, so to make sure you can find all those topics, including a case of silence. There we go. Uh, you can use the timestamps at roundtown.com, the blog posters episode, or on the YouTube video. If you're listening there, we have all the games listed below. So whatever you're looking for in the smorgasbord, it's bound to be there. Uh, but before we get to any of the actual stuff, any of the real important topics, we have to discuss the more, the, the real crucial breaking news of the past two weeks. And that is that poor, innocent wholesome nintendo has been the subject of none other than memes yes memes those evil things uh these past couple weeks so first it was toad and if you don't know specifically what i'm talking about or i'm referring to here i a commend you for living under a rock that somehow avoids the circus that is today's politics and b i'm specifically talking about claim and i'll leave it at that that the president has a bipart that resembles toad of the mushroom kingdom which you know probably an image that nobody needs so here's the thing it happened it came out people had their fun with it but like do you realize the cultural cachet you need to have for something like this reference to actually work like i know everyone's like oh i don't want to think of toad that way but like not for not just people to like get the reference but for someone who has you never expect to make such a reference in the first place know to make it and then make it like I'm I'm not trying to suck the humor out of this whole thing. Like it's funny and it's pure absurdity. But step back as a Nintendo fan. Like it's kind of cool that this moment happened. As weird and I don't want a picture in my head as it is. Like the fact that Toad is that iconic in the general zeitgeist is kind of crazy. Maybe okay. for the wrong reasons, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, obviously like Nintendo's a big brand. They have some of the most recognizable characters in the world. They're a household name. They sell billions of dollars in merchant games. They literally had the Prime Minister of Japan dress up as Mario at the last Olympics. Yet, I feel like sometimes we're down here, or at least me, I don't know if this is true of you, Angel, but we're down here in our little Nintendo fandom bubble. And, you know, we follow every move and every minute thing that Nintendo does. We know all their A-tier, their B-tier, their C-tier characters. And I don't know, I just, I sometimes forget that someone like Toad actually is that well-known. And then I see things like this, or, you know, like every late night comedian is joking about Toad. I mean, Colbert literally doctored footage of Mario Kart 8 to make a whole little like 45 second video about this thing. Jeez. It's Toad driving off a cliff because he's so disgusted. Um, you know, and, the, and then you see Toad trending on every social media platform and he's cited in actual news stories on actual mainstream news sites. And it's just like, it's kind of cool. Like, I mean, the whole reason he cited is horrible, but as an Intel fan, it's kind of, it's, kind of cool to see that like toad of all people is getting some attention i don't know to see that everyone gets the reference it's just kind of like oh yeah like nintendo's this bigger thing than our little bubble i mean i'd prefer it not be about this 
Like, I don't want Toad to be the descriptor of the president's genitals. But, nonetheless, the fact that Toad is versus some Paw Patrol character is kind of cool. <laughs> in a weird way. Paw Patrol character? I don't know. I couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Does Paw Patrol... I, I don't know. That no, doesn't I... even make sense, actually. <laughs> or maybe it does. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know their dogs, but... Wow. I don't know. But yeah, either way, my point is it's like kind of a neat fan moment in a, a twisted way. What a time to be way. alive. What a time to be alive. It's kind of like, it's like a much more dark, twisted, upsetting version of when Pokemon Go blew up that one summer. It's like, oh my god, everyone cares about Pokemon again. Except this time it's Toad. And he looks like a penis. Anyway. Point is, that's just Toad. The other thing that, uh, once that fervor died down, we got a different meme that quickly replaced it with a different type of, I guess you could call it, sexualization i don't know and that's uh bowsette so first things first i know you have a bone to pick with bowsette well just the name yeah I don't really, that's what yeah. i mean yeah yeah i mean i don't know peach no toadette gets the crown and neither more but the deluxe that turns her into peachette peach plus toadette equals peachette so that's where they got the name so i enjoyed the math lesson form well, yeah <laughs> i mean just breaking it down so Bowsette implies it's like a bowser toadette hybrid. If anything, that should probably have its own art. I wouldn't be surprised if someone already did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really should be Peach, sir. Yeah, it should be Powser, Peach Howser. Oh, Powser actually has a good ring to it. Yeah, I like the pow in it. Yeah, you know, like Powser's pretty good. Powser, Peach Howser, Peach Sir, I don't know. This Peach Sir's the one I was thinking of. But Powser sounds... Powser it, has more, sounds more like a real name. <laughs> yeah. But, but beyond that, like, this... Bowsette thing, sorry, Powser. Let's just call her Powser the rest of the show. This Powser thing, like, how, how did this? It's 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 actually kind of fascinating in a weird way. Like again, I not in a I like it kind of way. I didn't like what happened to Toe, but in more of a like, how does something like this blow up so fast? I think just the way. fact that it blows up because I mean, I would not be surprised if like there's been fan art of this like that existed long before. I mean, people, the internet is crazy like they would rule 42 or not 42 34 34 yeah see how innocent i am everyone i don't even know the rule number yeah like i'm sure like every version of every character has been drawn like i mean it, at that point it's pretty much just drawing like a human female version of bowser yeah but what, what caused this blow up specifically oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for those who don't know is um there's this twitter user named uh ayyk92 and they made a web comic where it was the end of i guess mario odyssey I would know. I haven't beaten it. And it Bowser is. and Mario are both ready to marry Peach, and she has to give one the rose and send one home. And instead, she just says nope and walks away. And then Mario and Bowser are like, "Hold up, wait a minute. What if we take the super crown, which is now a thing thanks to uh, Super Mario Brothers Deluxe? What Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe? What if we take that? And what if we put it on Bowser? And then Mario and Bowser can wed. And then everyone lives happily ever after because Mario's Bowser, Bowser is Mario, and Peach can go do her solo thing as she apparently has dreamed of doing. So that then happened. And then it spawned a ton of fan art, uh, some of which is significantly less work appropriate than others, shall we say. Uh, and somehow it gets kept growing and growing and growing. It's like a full-on meme now. It... Uh, I'd argue that this is the type of meme because it grew so big so fast. It's going to burn very bright, very, you know, it burned very bright very quickly and it's probably going to go out just as fast. And like in a few weeks' time, no one's going to talk about Bowsette. It might not even make it through next week. It might not even make it. By the time you're listening to this, it could already be as if it never happened. This is not the Rick roll of the Mario world. This is something much shorter span. But in this moment, in peak Bowsette, 
phrase I never thought I'd say. It's peak Bowsette. Uh, it's just kind of fascinating to see how it grew. Like, again, I don't mean to suck the fun out of it by dissecting what's going on, but I'm going to anyway. No, I, I don't know. I, I don't think we've ever seen something fan-created go so viral in the Nintendo world and then go get to the point where it's, uh, it, like, spills over into the general, like, internet cultural zeitgeist world where, like, it, people were talking about that don't care about Nintendo. It was trending on Twitter. Like, generally. Not in specific groups or anything. And I think what's happening here is, to me, kind of a perfect storm that made it possible because one of the things that always causes something to go viral... And really, it's the anchor of all comedy, and this is really dissecting it. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, the, defi- the defiance of expectations. That's the thing that makes funny humor funny. You know, that's what makes things funny. Like, there's a video going around this dog that rings a, rings a doorbell in Spokane. Like, he got outside and he couldn't get back in, so he rings his owner's doorbell and is captured on the camera. It's like, oh, that's funny because dogs don't ring doorbells. Like, it's very simple, obviously. But what's going on with Peachette, sorry, Bowsette, is. Bowser. <laughs> Bowser. Uh, for, what's going on with female Bowser with a corset is that um you're taking a perfectly legit nintendo character she fits all the rules of the universe so to speak like the new super crown ability says this is how this can happen it's following canon if you will and then you kind of defy expectations by having her go like full waifu by having it be like her design is not what nintendo would ever do in the scenario but how that design came to be is absolutely what nintendo would do like, on a hypothetical level, is this really any worse than, like, rose gold metal peach? No, not really. But because it's, like, slightly sexualized, I guess, or slightly more mature, you've got the the humor and ridiculousness of that combined with the other thing that makes memes popular, which is trolling. And sharing something like Bowsette or Bowser, uh, you know, drawing her in unusual scenarios or situations that go against the Nintendo grain, like, that's trolling Nintendo. Like, you know, somewhere in nintendo's building is someone who's like why are they doing this no no amiibos over modding her into super or or, yeah either either nintendo's like oh god no or someone's like finally finally i can convince the execs and nintendo corporate they officially in japan have put out a no comment about all this like someone asked an egg we have no comment about the drawings or the art but you know like or at least the people that are sharing it i feel like there's some little like rebellious thing in them that's just like yeah i'm trolling nintendo like this is not this is like if i drew mickey as like or Minnie as like a stripper like it's not it's kind of like oh Disney would be pissed like it's that sort of weird thing so that's kind of I think where some of this is coming from it's like grade A trolling that also happens to be perfect canon for Nintendo characters so when you do it but it comes out looking like Bowser or Peachette or Bowsette whatever her name is um, that whole like expectation defying is like oh that's funny huh so I think that's kind of why we're here and to both these points someone found in the new mario odyssey art book you actually pointed this out to me a few days ago that uh this art book's out in japan not america but there is in fact a bowsette like character at one point there's a storyboard you see bowser throw a hat at peach and then turn into her so that checks off box number one of of course this meme works because it fits the nintendo world canon but then box number two is checked off because you realize um the design Nintendo had for their Bowsette is way more wholesome and normal. And now we're just trolling by having it not be that. So that's kind of where we're at. I don't know. If you think I'm overstating the sexualization of uh, Bowsette, or of Toad for that matter, I would just like to point out, I'm not. You might be like, Jason, why are you making this all about sex? Toad searches for porn went up 2,200% following the, the Trump claim. 
Bowsette searches for porn went up 5,800%. That's 5,800% in these past couple weeks. Those are real numbers that are put out in real press releases by real porn companies. Yeah, so a lot of people were just like, man, this is the, the porn I never knew I wanted. Yeah, this is, yeah, some lucky Nintendo fans found their kink, and good for them. But yeah, this is real. Like, this whole, like, I'm not making up that this, like, oh, it's so sexualized. This is, people are searching these things, and I guarantee you they're getting results already, probably, or very soon. I'm <laughs> sure some companies are jumping on this very quickly. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of Bowsettes during Halloween. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Especially during Comic-Con. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that, so like porn aside. It's funny because there are already, um, there are, I guess, um, Bowser costumes that like a lot of female cosplayers have designed to be like quote unquote like sexy Bowser. Yeah. But now I, they can just. Yeah, I could see this, I guess, getting replaced just because of its popularity. Yeah. And like, honestly, at this point, I would expect Nintendo to do the proper Bowsette. I think the one we saw in the concept art will in some form materialize as a Mario Kart character or something. Because like I was saying before, we have Rose Gold Metal Peach. Is this really that much worse if they clean her up for like E for Everyone audiences? It's basically a done deal. So so that's memes. I don't know if you have any thoughts on either of these memes. Um, No comment, just like Nintendo. Ah, smart, smart man, smart man. But yeah, that, that may have been the single weirdest opening conversation we've ever had on the show in its nearly seven years. Because I don't think we've ever talked about any of that but um yeah, yeah actually you know what yeah i can't even think the only thing that come close to weirder openings is when we lick cartridges of the switch and then i went back and did it again five months later for no real reason except i lost a bet like that that comes close but this is this is definitely the weirdest but now that we've got corrupting of nintendo's characters uh good names out of the way let's talk about how nintendo's corrupting its own name with switch online I kid, I kid, it's not really that bad. But it is not that great either. So, to be fair, we spent a lot of time last episode talking about how it's missing features, how some choices don't make sense, etc., etc. And I think a lot of that still holds true. Uh, but now that's been out for a week, you and I, we are both paying members of the Nintendo Switch Online service, and we've messed with the various features, and it only seems right to give it a fair shake with some impressions and kind of talk about what's there and what we think of it. So, Angel, I've been talking a lot about memes so why don't you kick off Switch Online? How do you feel about it? Like, did it exceed expectations? Is it lower? Is it higher? What's your pulse on it a weekend? Um, I guess as low as I thought that would be. That's So not lower. <laughs> so not it met lower. Your, it met your low bar. I mean, that it, Nintendo, you won. You didn't nuke his expectations. I mean, there's different ways I can look at it. Like, as yeah. me, my own personal consumer, the way I look at everything, when I play and started paying this Nintendo Switch Online subscription it didn't really feel like anything changed it just felt like now i'm just out 20 bucks <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I, it, it didn't get any worse but it also didn't really get any better like connecting to people online is identical everything else everything is identical it the only to, yeah and even then and the voice chat option on the phone like that was already kind of there I even it's been available for a little over a year because of splatoon 2 right. but just a splatoon yeah, and even then, I still played Splatoon various times, a few more times with friends since that since that app's released, and I didn't really use it. It was just not that convenient. It still isn't. Yeah, <laughs> like the app itself. Like if you're for whatever reason made yourself use it, like it works. Like if you have, it's just back to where it was. Yeah, yeah. but but it's pointless. Like I'm better off just opening up a like a messenger like what, chat room or something. What about like? But 
like chatting with randoms like i mean i guess that's the only that and the nes stuff i guess that's the only new content yeah, so what about the we should let's let's break but, this down what about the nes stuff what do you think of that because i mean we're, it, it it's almost like switch online has two major buckets right now you got nes and you got chat and chat's basically like you're saying it's the same as it was before just you could talk to more people well i mean in strangers which yeah that's what i mean by more people i mean i mean that was kind of interesting i mean so far everyone was nice like um someone re- recommended um xenoblade chronicles 2 the dlc they hadn't played the original game they just played mm-hmm. the dlc and that was oh yeah the dlc is the separate uh yeah. thing that just came out a couple yeah, weeks ago said it took them like apparently, over 20 hours and yeah everyone's just been pretty apparently good that dlc is actually really good in the sense of it's a lot more streamlined and it's good for people who aren't super heavy into rpgs like us which is interesting yeah but outside so, of that experiment i don't really see a reason to talk to randoms so what do you think Especially of NES not in Smash Brothers. You definitely don't want that. Oh, yeah, yeah. People will just be cursing you. Yeah. Um, and, like, rule of thumb, Mario Kart is fine because that is more of a casual game. Mm-hmm. But never really try to talk to people in fighting games. You never know who you're going to meet. Technically, you're not meeting them. You're just playing them online. But anyway. What... Yeah, you, you meet them <laughs> I know online. What you mean. I know what you mean. But what about... So I, feel, I would argue the big thing in Switch Online is NES. So what's your take on that? I know I keep trying to steer you that way because that's the only thing that actually has meat to discuss in a way. Um, it's fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I like. It's like a, it's a. Does it justify twenty bucks? No, not even close. <laughs> it's just a nice distraction, but yeah. that's all it is. It's a distraction. Like you look away for like a few minutes, and then you're like, "Okay, where was I? Oh, all right, that's it." That was a good definition of what a distraction is. Yes, <laughs> that's really well. Yeah, but that's how yeah, I feel about the yeah. Idea, so. yeah, I, I think. I think for me to be honest, like Switch Online doesn't justify it, but it's certainly L or Switch Online. NES games don't justify Switch Online, but it's certainly in my mind the entire setup of it and what the potential of it is because they built a platform where they can easily pump out games across multiple. I mean, it systems. can justify it eventually, but right now, yeah, right now, no. But I think I think Switch Online is elevated almost to the point of being good by having NES. I think there's still a lot of holes, but like the NES thing to me has always been a really clever idea. Like, instead of just a normal virtual console, you got this growing set of on-demand games that could keep adding new ones over time. You can play with your friends online, both multiplayer simultaneously, single-player past the controller mode, which, as you and I tried, is actually super easy. You just hit ZRZL, hit Y, and it just rotates the players then and there, and it works across all games. Like, it's not like you're in one game, and that's it, and then you move on. But only the host can do that. Only the host can do that. But, yeah, but anyone can become the host like next time you could be the host like it doesn't really yeah but it's still kind of annoying though is it yeah. but then then you just keep like trolling each other by switching on each other no no i know but like obviously that's not why they do it but like it just feels slow i don't know it feels slow i see that's fine because to me i thought the entire thing worked really fast and seamless like i was surprised at how quick things booted up how quickly we could switch between oh no games, i'm literally just talking how about quickly we could switch controls. I'm, I'm just talking about that Everything, right, everything right. else felt like fast and snappy. Yeah, and, no load times great. whatsoever. Um, it was almost too fast. It didn't really give me. You didn't have nice... time to go. Am I playing this? I am playing this because it was gone before you got the chance. I will say it is kind of nice that you can actually customize the order of the games. So, like, if you have uh, five games you always want to play, you can put them at the very top and never worry about the other fifteen, which is kind of cool. But um, yeah, the thing that kind of surprised me, and kind of, I guess, to your point, that you thought the host the whole host thing is you're not doing an online session in the game like i figured it'd be like oh you play mario your friend hops into mario you're doing an online session of like the, the entire library of the app 
So we, when we tested it, we rotated between like five games over like 20 minutes. And it was just all super seamless, which was kind of nice. Although apparently you didn't find it as nice, but I found it nice. I kind of wished almost, I guess, to your point about host versus not host. I know why they didn't do it. I get that. But I kind of wish it had matchmaking with strangers. Maybe not with chat, but just like, you know, you want to play ice hockey for some reason and you, your friend's not around and you could just play against people online. Like that would have been kind of cool, but that doesn't play nice with the whole you are hooked up to the app as a collective opposed to each game. So I get why it's not there, but it would have been cool. That said, emulation is pretty good, uh, at least in my mind. Nintendo basically ported and reskinned the NES Classic emulator right over. I mean, that's evident by the fact that modders within a day of this thing launching already figured out how to import other NES games into the library. It's the exact same hack as if you have an NES Classic. Um, actually, in a, in a funny way, Nintendo almost supports the idea of games beyond what they're offering because uh, without having to mod the system, anyone with a North American Switch Online account can actually go into the Japanese eShop, download the Japanese one, and then their Switch Online North American account will authenticate that. So you actually get 40 games in a way, because some of those games are different, obviously. And then even there's differences in, like, Mario 3 is significantly harder in the Japanese release. So you can go see the difference and literally play them back-to-back, which is something you've never been able to officially do from Nintendo before. So that's, that's kind of a cool little weird, if you want to put in the effort as possible, situation. Uh, for those who are curious, we'll link to an article in the blog post to walk you guys through how you can get the, the Famicom set of games. But it's, it's kind of a neat idea. Anyway, beyond the modding, my point is the emulator, um, because it's the same as NES, pretty decent feature set, I'd say, right? Like, you could do save states. There's, like, what, four per game or something like that? Um, then they also have the ability to view the games in one of three modes. There's the 4-3 view, which is default. There's a pixel-perfect view, and there's, like, a slightly blurred CRT TV view. Again, as you can do on the NES Classic. I mean, which which one did you find yourself using? The default. See, yeah, I thought so, too, at first. But, like, on, on a big-screen TV, I realized I actually prefer pixel-perfect mode. Well, you didn't ask me which one I preferred. You just told me which one I found myself using. Oh, okay. Well, which do you prefer? The default. Sweet. Okay, so the <laughs> reason... <laughs> the, the, the reason I... I'm saying pixel perfect mode is not because I care about pixels. Like, I don't care if they're square or rectangle or octahedral or whatever, but because one of the stranger design choices with this whole app, in my opinion, with NES Online as a thing, is that Nintendo insists on constantly showing you the button options to access the emulator features on the bottom bar under your game at all times. It's constantly like, hey, ZR and ZL, you can press those, get your menu, or hey, minus is select, and by the way, plus is start. Just so you know, we're going to leave these here all the time and that's not that bad per se but when you're playing a game in the full 4-3 which is default as you noted and said you preferred um the the game almost seems to be blocked by the bar it's not actually blocked but it's budding up so close against it that i at least found it distracting for games where i was towards the lower the bottom half of the screen like ice climber or or ice climber so it reminds or, me very yeah it, it is it is ugly but I, it doesn't bother me enough to warrant going through a few menu options. Yeah, I mean, I will say the pixel perfect mode, it resolves it by adding a gap. But then if you're playing pixel perfect mode on your Switch handheld mode, it's a sm- smaller. It's significantly smaller because the screen's significantly smaller. So then you probably want to go back to 4.3 so it fills in the space again. So I get that. But it, it, to me, is an especially weird design choice when you consider how much extra space is to the left and right of any given game because it's only 4.3. It doesn't take up a full screen. Like Nintendo already 
is smart enough to use the top left to show who you and your friend are when you're playing. It shows your icons. It shows the connection strength. It even rotates the icons when you switch who's the dominant controller for passive controller mode. Like, that's all really thought out. So I don't know why they couldn't just use the corresponding top right side, which is just empty, to dump those menu controls there and then avoid this completely. I mean, they, w- they would have been more out of the way, sure, but they're still there. It's still clear as day. They're right there. And it's not like Nintendo necessarily rushed to sound and have time to think the UI. This service has been delayed so many times. And I mean, the fact that if I go into my Switch friend list on a system level and it shows who's playing NES online and it shows the specific game they're pl- playing and if I press the game name, you know, like hit A, select it, It'll actually pop up on a system level, not even in the app, just on the system. It'll pop up a whole descriptor of the game and the box art, which no other game for Switch does. The fact that they're able to build that in, which is super cool, it kind of makes me wonder why they couldn't just go, hey, these these icons should maybe be not in your line of vision directly at all times. But maybe that's just me. I mean, it's, you, you said it didn't bother you as much. so. But I know, I know one thing that did bother you because we were talking about it at the time. The controls are kind of wonky. Or not so much the controls, but the layout of the controls. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just weird having four buttons for a game that only uses two. And then having A and B reversed. Yeah, it's not that... Well, I, I've i been playing it a lot more lately, and I've started to get used to it than now. Like, I was actually considering getting the NES controllers, just because, like, alright, I there are a few games on there, while I'm not, like, ex- like crazy about the NES collection, um, ice hockey and wrestling have become competitive favorites in my small circle i still don't even know how to do wrestling correctly you and i played and i had no idea what i was doing i mean obviously one's punch and one's kick but yeah <laughs> i lost that actually i didn't lose that badly but, no, but i lost for sure you lost by a lot you could tell how could you t- i couldn't even tell how do you tell there's no health bars it's by how long it takes you to get out of a pin i know well i figured that but we weren't that far apart i always had you for two seconds and then you won when you finally got me a three or four well, anyway, you're saying. I don't remember. Competitive favorites, NES controller. Oh, yeah. It, at the beginning, it was just really annoying having the extra two buttons on top because I've gotten... I grew up with a Super Nintendo, so typically I would have my thumb already pressed down on the top. I think it's Y or X. One of those two. Um, the top left button. Like that I would, would always, be Y. I would always have that one pressed down, and then I would always press B to jump. But... Because we're playing on a, I'm using the classic controller. I mean the, the the pro controller. Right. And I guess it doesn't matter if you're also using the Joy-Con, like the the dual hand mode. Um, if you use that same configuration, pretty much just playing with those two buttons, it won't work. Like pressing the top button won't do anything because, as far as the NES emulator is concerned, those buttons don't exist. exist. Yeah. So that just took some getting used to, and it was pretty hard at first, but. I mean, you'd have to keep at it, but some people might not want to keep at it. It'd be nice if they had button mapping, because the thing is, like, technically the buttons are in the same left-to-right order, like B comes before A on the NES controller, and B comes before A on the Joy-Con. But, on the Joy-Con, B is below A, while on the old system, B, or on the NES controller, B and A are side-by-side. So it is a little weird to have to get used to raising, even if you're playing with the right buttons and not a Super Nintendo configuration like you're used to, getting used to the idea of having to lift your thumb up instead to the right it's kind of it kind of threw me in a loop for a while like it felt weird and on top of that i don't have a pro controller so i don't have a d-pad so i was using either the joy con by itself or the joy cons in the grip i tried both in both cases the sticks are not great for this like the control sticks don't 
really I mean, it makes sense. Do the it. games that are designed <laughs> to just have like four Right. And that has four yeah. and that has analog, so there's a range. And similarly using the face buttons, yeah, you can mimic a D pad, but there's no they're just buttons. Like it there's a reason make people make D pads and not just buttons. Like it feels worse. So yeah, I don't know. I mean if they had button mapping that would help the A B thing if they had a d-pad that'd be nice i can resolve that by buying a pro controller i can also resolve that by buying the nes controller joy cons which it's funny i actually was gonna buy them if anyone remembers from last episode i was like yeah i'm gonna buy them and then i in a weird way i'm proud of myself because i ended up not buying them instantly i thought i would cave i managed to rationalize that i already have an nes classic and its controllers i don't really need another set of nes controllers uh especially since you're not a guaranteed um you're not you're not guaranteed that these NES controllers are even going to work in anything else. Like it doesn't work with arcade archives. It doesn't work with any uh, eShop games. All you know is these controllers work with this specific service and what games are offer. Arcade archives with arcade sticks. Well, the, I guess they sort of are. I've... But you could argue that you could use like for Mario Bros. Versus. I'm pretty sure you could also get by with a D-pad and it has the same inputs. Like, the arcade sticks aren't, like, analog. They're just a stick version of a D-pad. Yeah. So so I get your point, but yeah. Um, but they don't work with anything else officially. Nintendo doesn't say they won't work. They just don't officially work. So your mileage may vary. And on top of that, to your point about any about Super Nintendo controllers, there are two more buttons, right? And they are... Someone has found in the 6.0 firmware for Switch icons for the Super Nintendo controllers, much like there are for the NES controllers. Meaning... Down the line, if the service ex- when the service expands to include Super Nintendo, they're going to release controllers for that. So either I buy them now, and I have to buy more again later, or I just wait and buy the Super Nintendo version of the special Joy-Cons. <laughs> what if they don't work with the NES games? That would be insane. But knowing Nintendo, that's probably going to be what happens. So where would they <laughs> slot into the Switch? Because they have shoulder buttons. Well, so does so, they... so do the NES wireless no, ones. Yep, they and... have L and R buttons. Yeah, but they... to access the menus because you have to hit L R. Yeah, but I mean, if they're trying to stay authentic, like I mean, you can't destroy the SNES shoulder buttons. I would, I don't know how they would do that. That's a good question. That's the final thing. It's like, are they gonna have? They're probably gonna have to put like the, I guess the shoulder grip, the thing you slide on top of the Joy Cons to, or something like to give you fake buttons. But or they that kind of sucks. Or they put the weird slider on the bottom, but that also doesn't work because they're curved on the bottom. Yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting challenge. I guess you put them sideways. Oh god! Like so it's flat. like giant. So it's like giant wings on your switch. No, no, no. I mean that is how they would be put in. Isn't that how the NES ones are put in? The NES ones are put in on the. T- they slide in from the top, so they're flush. They're flat against the switch, but they're like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean perpendicular. But yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, perpendicular. So they look like wings, kind of. That could work, but then they're too short because you need the whole thing because the con- the contacts are like not next to each other. I don't know. Nintendo will figure it out. All I know is the icons are there, and if I'm going to buy one controller, I might as well get the one with the more buttons opposed to the one with the fewer buttons on the replaced. if I were to do it. But, yeah, so I didn't get them. Sounds like you didn't get them, after all. No. Um, I will give Nintendo credit. If we have cho- if we chose to get them, which neither of us did, but the fact that they limited them to just Switch Online subscribers has made it much easier to get them. I uh, Actually, quick correction before I even get to that. Last episode, we were saying you can only buy it if you were your own account like you get one per family account or one per regular account it turns out it's one per account regardless of if you're family or regular so anyone in a family plan can get their one set 
So anyone who apparently was hanging by every word and didn't just go look at the website in the past two weeks, you can go buy them. It is safe. I imagine there's zero of you in that scenario, but you never know. But uh, my point was, um, it's been relatively seamless for people to buy them. They're still available as of today. I went and checked the website um, here in the U.S. at least. In Europe, I think the only problem that's been with any of them is, is in Europe. They couldn't process credit cards for the first day or so. But it's, it's working now, and it's amazing what happens when scalpers are just out of the picture. Like Things can just be available. It's such a pleasant surprise. I, I mean, I'm always sort of... I'm kind of like half-kidding when I say that. Like it's, I'm sure part of it is also the fact that it's a much more limited audience than, say, Amiibo or, or anything that people would scalp. I mean, Intel basically put two filters on these things. One is just the fact that you need Switch Online. And while we don't have any concrete numbers of how many people do have Switch Online, according to analytics from Sensor Tower... The Switch Online app has been downloaded 5 million times. Now, not everyone with the app paid for online. Not everyone who paid for online has the app. But I think the number, you know, like a quarter of all Switch owners, gives a good rough sense of how many people probably jumped into Switch Online. And then if you factor in that not everyone in those 5 million wants to spend 60 bucks on two wireless NES controllers that only charge if you slot them in dorkily. Like, I, I think you can kind of see how these didn't sell out yet, but Prosser Nintendo for actually having a supply for once, even at this limited number. So that's kind of nice. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much NES Online. It To me, it's a great foundation to something bigger. And as it is, it's just kind of a, oh, that's kind of, all right, that's nice. As you said, it's like a distraction at this point, but I think it's a well-done distraction. But, but speaking of the app, we kind of talked about it a little before, but the other half of Switch Online's offerings at this point is just the app and i would argue it is a very mixed bag kind of to your point before i mean like here's the here's the thing i've noticed about switch online what nintendo decided to include they implemented extremely well like nes online as a setup as a service as a thing is great overall i think like i said it lays good foundation for expanding into other systems you know, cloud saving works. Yeah, they made some weird choices about how you can access it. You need to pay for it, but it works seamlessly. Should you cancel or lapse your subscription, they'll hold on to your data for six months, which is the thing that people were unsure of until, you know, it officially came out. So you have time to... Six months? Six months. That's wow. actually about equal to what Xbox and PlayStation do. But originally, they weren't going to hold it at all, or so we were told. And it turns out that games like NBA 2K and Dead Cells, contrary to reports we talked about last episode, those are supported by it. So that's cool. Uh, and they know, you know, Nintendo knows to allow free-to-play and online-dependent games like uh, Fortnite or Jackbox. Those can get through without a subscription needed. They're savvy enough to understand that. Even the fact they can use accumulated My Nintendo Gold Coins to pay for your online subscription. that That's kind of cool. Like, it's pretty smart. As is how Nintendo is actually going about telling people what the games support. One of my big question, what, or get, what games require it. Like, one of my big questions before launch of your call was, how do we know what requires it? And it turns out... On the eShop, there's a filter for Switch Online games. And if you go look at a box of a game from now going forward, um, it will actually on the back say Switch Online Required and have a little red Switch Online logo. So, like, they get when, like, when Nintendo gets it, they get it. For the things they get, they get it, if that makes sense. And I think the best example of this may actually be, but more than anything I just said, the game sharing feature that just sort of crept out without any real announcement or anything. Starting with Switch Firmware 6.0. You can now log in to your My Nintendo account on a separate Switch, download the game there, play the game there, and as long as you don't have the game simultaneously running on your primary Switch, which is the Switch you first logged into My Nintendo on, as long as that Switch is connected to Wi-Fi, your game will be accessible on any other Switch you've loaded on. You should... I think actually you can even do it without Wi-Fi. As long as you 
don't have the game running on the primary switch with Wi-Fi running simultaneously, you can play it elsewhere. Should you then turn it on with Wi-Fi on on your primary switch, it'll just pause the game elsewhere. And this is kind of what Xbox and PlayStation already do. But Nintendo gave zero indication this was coming. It just kind of appeared. It just kind of worked. And like I said, like when they get it, they get it. Even if they're a little late to getting it, they get it. They did the implementation correctly. They didn't do weird DRM. They just did it as simple as can be. It's easy to explain. If it's running on your switch, it can't run on that switch. If it's off on that on your on your switch, it can run on that switch. Like super simple. The problem is there's some stuff they just don't get. And that is where the holes are with Switch Online, I feel like. So what that translates to in the app is pretty much everything you were saying. The voice chat implementation. Like it in it in and of itself, in my mind, it's actually quite well done. Like you hop into your game lobby. You fire up the app. It knows exactly what's going on. It knows who you're playing with. It knows what you're playing. The UI for the actual conversation is pretty slick, just like it was with Platoon in the beta. You know, everyone's icons are flowing around in those circles. When they talk, they expand and kind of glow. When you're not talking, you shrink. There's a little, like, sound input indicator so you know how you're coming in. There's a mute button you can press at any time. Like, it's really, you know, all the good stuff that needs to be there is there. But then what's also there is what doesn't make sense. Like, you can talk to strangers. That was a surprise. Nintendo never promised that. But um, you can't not talk to strangers. There's no filter to chat just with your friends. It's all or nothing. Yeah, you would have to be in a lobby with just you and your friends like, in the game itself. Right, which means... There is you... no lobby option for the app, which is really dumb. I mean, it is. If, if they wanted to be smart about it, they literally should have just... Made it so, oh, you are online playing your Nintendo Switch? Cool. Here is a lobby where you can just chat with any of your friends. And then it doesn't matter what game you're on, or even if you're playing a game, you could just chat with your friend. Yeah. Plain and simple. I mean, that's what... I mean, and that would still kind of suck, because that just means that the way it's set up now, anyone in your friends list would be able to just join in on that chat room, See, whether I'm you want almost... them or not. At least, at least on... So, well, I don't know how it is on Microsoft, but in PlayStation, I could open up a chat room and just invite who I want to chat with, and then there yeah. you go. You just create a party. I think what would be nice is um, if you want to, let's say, do a game-specific chat. Fine, Nintendo. I get that. But like, just make it a toggle, like friends or all. There should... I mean, it's not that... Because like, what, what, what happens is, to your point that you have to make your own lobby... That you're saying, secular, like kick Mario Kart. You want to play a 12 person race, but you want to chat with your friends. You want to play with two friends and 10 CPs. You want to play with all humans. But now you're stuck listening to all humans or none. Like it's a weird give or take. And in a way, I guess you could say this actually helps differentiate Switch Online from something like Discord, where you're only talking with people you know or friends or whatever or people you previously interacted with. So, like, it's almost a selling point for Switch Online. Like, hey, on Discord, you can only talk to people you previously have established connections with. But with us, you can talk to the entire room. You should download the Switch app. Like, I kind of get where they're coming from, but they didn't quite think it all the way through. To your point about there's just be the ability to chat with anyone. Yeah, and even time. then on Discord, it's like, if... And this actually happened. Like, I liked playing Bowser and Smash Brothers yeah. a few years ago um, when I was more active in it and entering tournaments more often. Um... Like, on the Smash Brothers website, there's like, oh, join the Bowser Discord to discuss with other Bowsers. With other Bowser means you just type in the code, you join, and that's it. Now you're meeting with people you've never met before. Right. I mean, it's not that Right, right, right. But, like, you could argue that Nintendo was thinking, hey, we're saying you could talk to the entire room easily with no Nintendo codes. Like, there is a selling point to be had here. It just feels like they made something mandatory that should be optional, which is who you chat with. 
So that's issue number one with the voice chat. Issue number two I have is they come up with this whole elaborate app for voice chat, right? And, um, you know, last episode I speculated that they probably did this on some level to allow for quote-unquote like backseat players to be part of the conversation. So like the thing about Nintendo is their signature multiplayer is like, you know, like everyone's on one couch in one room playing together. Everyone's chatting. You don't have to actually be playing to be engaged and having fun. So if you were to do this in a voice chat capacity, you would need something with a speaker. Hence, we speak was originally a thing. And now this, where it's like, oh yeah, you put your phone on speakerphone, everyone's in, it's all, everyone's having fun together, yay. Problem is, if you do it with a speaker, you have your game audio piping back into the voice chat stream. And lagging game audio gets sent back and forth as you're chatting. So you not just have the chat, but you have about a second and a half, maybe a little less behind of the game sounds going on as you're playing your game with your game sounds going on and guess who didn't come up with a way to cancel that out or block it somehow good old nintendo like i don't i don't know what sort of technical requirements that would take i don't know what sort of extra processing power that would take but considering nintendo knows the sound output for each game i imagine there's gotta be a way they could sort of cross cancel it as they send the voice through right like there's gotta be something. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not a sound engineer, but yeah, I mean, yeah, someone more tech savvy. Leave a comment on this episode on ep- on the blog episode 186 dot com. Tell us if we're toy pipe dreaming here, if this is a feasible thing. But it just to me seems like if you know you're making a speaker based app for chat, you should probably figure out a way to cancel out the other it noise. Seems that to work chat. for the Wii because I remember using the Wii Speak a few times with a friend and. I, they it always, was fine. Yeah, they always sounded crisp and clear, and I never heard what they were playing on the TV because obviously you put it basically in front of the TV away from you. So I thought it was going to be like, I'm just going to hear like his TV noises and all this other stuff. But I was... think part of it for that one was they – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you short. Right. But, uh, I think part of it for that one is they knew what exactly was going on in the game because it was plugged in through the game. Like the game was handling the exchange of sound. It wasn't like a system-level feature. Makes sense. But I don't know why they can't do that here. In theory, they should be able to replicate that somehow. I don't know. It, just, it was just a really weird thing that I did not expect. Like, I was pretty sure if Nintendo's doing the speaker thing, they'd we speak style it. But I guess I guess not. So that that's my only other issue. I mean, then you've got the rest of the app that does basically nothing. I mean, Splatnet is still there, which is cool. And like I said last episode, there's weirdly no other game-specific stuff, even though Nintendo had over a year to bring back mario kart tv or to create a section for like armed party crash updates or anything really and there's there's nothing there's no way to message people that are your switch friends there's no way to use push notifications to alert a friend that you're in a game or any sort of push notification anything like all you can do is voice chat and splatnet it's one of those things where like like i was saying when nintendo gets it they get it splatnet's really cool they just don't get a lot of it and that's kind of the problem here so that that for now is basically what switch online is and it's a question I posed last episode before launch, and now you sort of already answered it because you don't your expectations were not exceeded. But it, it's kind of worth asking again. So, what we've seen in action worth twenty bucks? No. Okay. So, like, I think I agree with you. I think seeing how NES Online and Voice Chat are implemented. That's, funny, that's twenty bucks a year. So it's yeah, like... it's not, an, and it's not a one-time thing. Because yeah, like. The fact that, that NES Online works how it does, the fact that voice chat is implemented how it is, to finally have crowd, uh, cloud saves, those to me are upticks over what Switch had before on some level, and I get why Nintendo felt they could launch with these things at a premium, but 
I'm of the mindset that they're gonna keep iterating on it. Like this isn't the end. Like I th- I think I think it's gonna be a lot like how we saw the 3ds or the Wii U evolve. Like if you bought either of those on day one, you had a pretty limited offering. Like the 3ds didn't have the eShop, it didn't have folders, it didn't have a bunch of stuff. Wii U launched with barely usable firmware. Like it was running so slow, and it was missing features. But then over time they got better and if you jumped in a few years later it was a quite well-rounded experience that justified the cost the thing with switch online as you just pointed out like sure one day it could reach that point they can add stuff they can make it worth 20 bucks but the problem is it's a subscription so it's not like you're paying for the future you're not paying ahead here because you'll need to pay in the future still every single time so right now as a full set of features in this particular moment i agree it's not worth the 20 but that could change in one or two updates. That could change with a few things. The thing is, we don't know when that's coming. We don't know what that is. We don't know if that will happen. I mean, if but they if keep... they follow that path, it should yeah, happen. And, and I mean, at some point, if they do keep adding three NES games for, I don't know, say a few years. Which they're what, apparently doing. Like, whether I play NES games or not, at some point, it will feel at least worth the 20 bucks. It's like, oh, I don't really play the NES, but it is nice to have these 100 NES games. Exactly. For $20 could... a year. Yeah, like yeah. that. Not bad. So yeah, it's 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 almost like they should have. See, then that would have been a PR nightmare because I was gonna say they should have almost like dynamically scaled the price as they rolled out new stuff. Like maybe start at ten bucks and then work their way up. But that's a lot harder to keep time. People are raising the price, raising the price. Like, you know, every time Netflix raises their price like a buck, everyone flips out. Imagine if they did that for like five straight years. So yeah, so yeah, I think right now it's not quite worth it. But on the, on the other hand, it's absolutely worth it because we want to play Switch Online. You need to pay. We have to pity them, though. In order so. for them to keep providing the same amazing content, they have to raise the price. Do they? That's what they say on the email. Yeah, I know. But do they? <laughs> I mean, this is a company that's rolling in money right now. I In the Wii U, like, to be honest, if in the Wii U days, like, we need you to pay online because we're, like, struggling, I would have been almost more okay with this in a weird way. Like, I would be like, well, that's your problem. But I also be like, oh, but I do want them to do well. That's Nintendo but Network. That actually had... Messaging. Nintendo it wasn't Network perfect, is what but... Switch Online should have been. Yeah, I like the the Miiverse. Game specific cool. communities is huge. Like the fact that you, yeah, Miiverse, obviously. The fact that you and can honestly, find like, people and friend them and then play them online through internet chat. I think that stuff was a lot like more convenient on the 3DS just because you had the touch screen. You just tap the icon. It's right there. Te- technically, and the on, Switch should be able to do that. No, yeah, that's like, like so. It should have worked nicely on the Switch too. Yeah, and but the Wii U had the touchscreen. The too. Wii U was kind of hit or miss depending on like what you're using. Well, the touchscreen is kind of wonky, yeah. Yeah, like and sometimes like I just play with the Pro controller. Also, mm. also, um, it didn't have friend codes. Nintendo mm. went so backwards with this, like it's so weird. And then they charge twenty dollars. It's so weird. But yeah, it I, had I think its own Skype. It did. Yeah, that's the thing I don't get. How did Nintendo go from we want you to be able to text, we want you to be able to video chat, we want you to be able to audio chat to being like. What if you like to put a speaker in the corner of your room on a different device and then just like use that? Like it's such a weird shift in mindset. I mean, I know a huge thing about the Switch's UI that they they did a whole backstory like panel about this at some Japanese event, and they're saying yeah, it's about being fast, about being speedy, it's about being like simple because they felt the Wii U was bloated, and that's part of the reason that the um, interface was so slow. So like apparently the Switch UI is tiny. Like the file size of the actual UI is like minuscule compared to what Wii U was so I think they just got a little too into that mindset when they were scaling back the online but who knows so we'll see what happens well I mean I'm, I'm hopeful it'll turn into something as I started to say it doesn't matter if we find it's worth 20 bucks if you want to play Smash Online if you want to play Kart Arms Mario yeah, uh, Mario Tennis if you want to play any of that you're paying the 20 bucks 
It's just, do you feel like you're getting ripped off fully, partly, or not at all? And I would say somewhere between partly and fully, but definitely not fully, but yeah. definitely partly. I feel like they're holding <laughs> those games hostage. but They basically are. And Minecraft and, and Rocket League and it's a bunch of third-party stuff. And like, a, like and is, apparently, if you want to download the free content for the Lego World game, on yeah. The Switch, so that's an need... error. Yeah, that has to be Obviously, an error. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. So for those, I if you, I sorry, you want to explain that? I sort of cut you short. That was it. Oh yeah, you have to yeah pay or free DLC. You have to pay up for Switch Online. For some <laughs> so reason, they yeah they probably just checked the wrong box in the dev tools. But yeah, I mean, I, like I said though earlier, they are savvy enough to not make the free to play behind the paywall. So that's nice. And also games that are online dependent, like Jackbox. That's also nice. But anyway, yeah, that's kind of where we're at with Switch Online. Uh, switching gears a bit, shortly after we saw Nintendo expand outward with its own online offerings, we saw another big publisher go in the reverse, and I mean like all the way in reverse, <laughs> and that's Telltale Games. Um, you okay? Yes. Just don't die like Telltale. <laughs> too soon, too soon. But uh, yeah, so this one's kind of a bummer, especially since I know that you, Angel, are a big fan of their work. Uh, basically, seemingly out of nowhere. Well, thing is how, thing is how they released a ton of games. <laughs> yeah, you're good for um, that. I'm a big fan of some of their work. Let me rephrase. You're yeah, you're you're a big fan of certain works of theirs. Yeah. But yeah, basically, seemingly out of nowhere, Telltale announced they're going through what they call a major studio closure that has resulted already in 200 to 250 people losing their jobs on the spot. They got zero severance severance um healthcare that will run out at the end of the month they basically got two weeks left of it two weeks after firing it's gone there's a skeleton crew behind that's finishing up minecraft story mode a project with netflix uh all the remaining tiles are seemingly canceled netflix plans to shop around the what was in progress stranger things game um which i actually was kind of looking forward to because like i like stranger things but but weirdly um telltale themselves are now talking with various parties to discuss a potential way to finish up the back half of the final season of The Walking Dead. Meanwhile, as that's all happening, you've got at least one employee suing them for unpaid wages. Uh, they say they violate a law that employers in California, where Telltale is, has to, have to give a 60-day notice of a massive layoff, which they did not do. Um, and that, in a nutshell, is what's going on with Telltale. And it's unfortunate because nobody really knows why this happened exactly. Like, some reports I saw said that a funding negotiation with AMC, the guys that own the rights to Walking Dead, that broke down at the last minute and pretty much signed the death warrant for the studio because that was going to be the funding. But what's more confusing to me is how they even got in a position where AMC was making or breaking the company because, like, they made a lot of games. Like you said, like, they have a ton of games. I mean, I read... They have Game of Thrones, Guardians of the Galaxy, Minecraft, Story Mode. Which is still happening with Netflix money. Um, Batman, Wolf Among Us, Walking Dead, obviously, Back to the Future... Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. And, like, I've read things that, like, apparently even Batman underperformed for them, which is crazy because how do you manage – this is something someone pointed out on Twitter, but how do you manage to not make money on Batman? It's Batman. How do you not make money on Batman? And yet somehow they apparently did. And they also kind of turbulent turbulent year of, like, management changes. Um, Apparently they they had a round of layoffs back in 2017. Then in March, there's this really scathing report by The Verge that outlined how bad the uh, like crunch culture is at Telltale and how people were pulling insane hours, sometimes working 18 hours a day, just get these games pumped out. But there doesn't seem to be like a single identifiable silver bullet, if you will, of why Telltale right here, right now, just went belly up. And it's especially sad because Telltale had a pretty big impact on the industry. I mean, you like you said, you're a fan of a handful of their games. Like they, they were different, right? Like they're not your typical video game. 
Yeah, it's one of the few that you could say is a nice bridge between like film and video games. Like they literally are the bridge that like yeah connects the two. So if you're someone that doesn't really like the high input demanding games, but you also still want to play video games, well, there's this is like the game for you. Yeah, and to to that point, um, it's kind of funny because after the news broke of Telltale closing, I decided that basically now or never I need to start playing my Switch copy of Batman: The Telltale Series. I was like, okay, I. I can't just sit on this forever. Like, this is... It's in the moment. I might as well play it right now. And, yeah, um, you've been telling me for years that I would love this game because it is kind of the perfect blend of a more passive viewing experience with more active gaming long, experience. I have long given up. He long gave up, and now I'm here to tell you that um, I'm sorry I didn't listen because I love the formula. Like, I'm really enjoying yeah, I'm the I'm literally Batman never game. recommending games to him again. That's extreme. I mean, years. Well, you only recommended it like once or twice per year over the course of many years. That should be enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, I, and the thing is I even bought it. I've owned this since November. Considering like a lot of the games were like free, like for the first chapter, like at least try it, like demo it out. But you know. But hey, I, I played it. But I played you're, it now. You're, you're a busy guy. Those Twitters, those tweets aren't going to read themselves. They're not going to read themselves. And these podcasts don't write themselves. And my sleep doesn't sleep itself. Those are pretty much three things I do. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, the the Batman games actually, like, I, I really love it. It's really good. I mean, I'm a Batman fan in the sense of I'm really obsessed with the Christopher Nolan trilogy of Batman. And that's where it stops. <laughs> no, I religiously watch Gotham. And, oh, that's and I'm wearing a Batman shirt right now. And Gotham. that's where it stops. But Telltale's Batman kind of slots in perfectly with the tone and vibe of those. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's definitely a more, like, grounded Batman. Yeah. As opposed to... Which I enjoy. Like... Oh, here comes Clayface. Actually, to be to be fair, um, Gotham is the least grounded Batman thing probably in the world. Like, they just do... Not in the world. I'm exaggerating. But they do... They're not grounded at all. It got really wacky in, like, season two or three. But in, like, 90s Batman movie wacky. Well, when but I mean grounded, theory. I mean, like, it could take place in reality. Like, you would just see a villain like Clayface in yeah. Gotham. In fact, they had the, the pit already in Gotham. So Clayface was in it? I don't know if Clayface was in it, but they had the... the um, Lazarus Pit and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but that was also in the Nolan one. I mean, that's, that's true. It was, yeah. I mean, I mean, like fictitious, like giant creatures, like that are like monsters. They had Salmon Grundy. Okay, that's kind of there. Yeah, but 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 so but far, that's why I use Clayface because he's like, I mean, he's a giant blob that could turn into anything. Yeah, they haven't quite done that. They've done more like the Toy Maker and like oh, Pig yeah. and like that sort. So I guess it is more grounded, but it's a the more wacky. grounded villain. <laughs> it's grounded in its wackiness. Like there's literally one scene in Gotham where Penguin shows up at a thing for the mayor was a rocket launcher and a bunch of doppelgangers who also have rocket launchers and they just start shooting it at the mansion which is not something that would happen in the nolan verse that's too extreme so it's wacky and it's groundedness i guess but but more of the point what i'm trying to say Mm. is telltale tells me a lot right is are you sarcasm or serious um sarcastic oh i thought you were serious i thought i would tell Mm. you something joker didn't show up with a rocket launcher and a bunch of doppelgangers with equally big rocket launchers in the mi- out of the mist of the swamp next to the mansion, he showed up with a bomb on a boat and then dangled upside down telling people to choose what to do, which is actually just as stupid. So, okay, fair. Um, but yeah, more, more my point, why he was bringing up the Telltale Batman 4, is uh, the gameplay... Yeah, it's just... I think what I'm realizing about Telltale now is it's kind of like the perfect modernization of an old-school point-and-click adventure game where I could choose your own adventure book. Because on the gameplay side, you know, you make the dialogue decisions. That's what telltale's known for you make the dialogue decisions and those kind of morph the story as you go uh 
but you're also doing like all these what amounts to a series of different quick time events so you know it's like swing the controller left now hit y now press zl and a at the same time now swing up with the controller now swing down with the controller and it just weirdly feels good when they're that many back to back during the sim acts and it just makes it that much more engaging but you're still watching it more than you're playing it but it has like a good give and take and you know every quick time action every dialogue decision is on a timer so there's still a sense of urgency like a more active gaming experience would have but it is more passive because you're ultimately just watching and occasionally pressing buttons but then on the like passive viewing film tv side of it the storytelling is just really well done like better than you would see in a typical game i mean in episode one early on here like the first thing they do is they have this intercut thing of Batman and Bruce's lives where the same scene has you jumping back and forth between the two of them like to diff- in different story beats. So it's kind of ramping up. Like you're either fighting as Batman or you're back in the mansion as Bruce being scolded for the fight by Alfred. And it keeps going back and forth in this kind of cool – like it's very – each story beat is like it switches over. It's really well done. Or like later on there's a part where they show Bruce's parents murder. But it's like a shadow play behind him while he's kneeling down upset about something on the floor. It's just like, wow, this looks like something I'd see on TV. Or something in a film, not so much a video game cutscene, but like it's kind of artsy and everything. It's really well done. So it it just has like good visual direction behind it, which I'm not saying games don't, but this just felt cinematic, which is not. Yeah, what you and, always and see. I mean, like since their games are very dependent on the story, because yeah. I mean, you're obviously not going in for the gameplay. Yeah, I mean, the gameplay is just there to enhance the story. Exactly, and even even like the graphics. Like I know everyone talks about like how. Um old and outdated the telltale engine supposedly is but i thought the graphics were pretty good in batman i mean the, the cell shade comic booky look works really well i'll admit the animation is odd because it's somehow both fluid and stiff at the same time which i don't really know how better to describe it like that they move fluidly but like something about it's very stiff simultaneously it's weird like i you know what i mean like i can't oh, think, yeah. yeah it's but, like their arms move fluidly but the rest of them forget to go with it or something a- I mean, overall, like, the games have just gotten... have definitely looked a lot better. If you look at the first Walking Dead versus the most recent one that is not finished, like, you could tell... Or the one that just came out Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. you can see a huge difference, and mm-hmm, it does look like... I mean, I don't think and obviously needed a better engine, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I guess... Yeah, I guess my point here, really, is I should have jumped in sooner. I mean, really, anyone who had any remote well, interest... I guess the Batman game is done. I mean... Well, no, that's the fun part. I mean, yes, it is, but I was kind of like, oh, I like Batman the Telltale game. They just announced the week before they went under that The Enemy Within, the sequel, uh, the season two, if you will, is coming to Switch in October. Not anymore. I mean... So I have to go find it on some other device You to have play. a MacBook. And I have a phone. Yeah. I know. There you go. I know. I'm not saying it's impossible. I mean, if you enjoy the story as much as you're saying you are, I don't see any reason why you can't. Well, I guess it's more like, never mind me, but the people that want the conclusion of Walking Dead, or the people that want Wolf Among Us 2, or anything but like right that. But right now it they're... is about you, because... No, I'm but I, I'm, I'm expanding you. it out to make to carry the conversation forward. I'm saying, like, for me, yeah, I can resolve it, but it kind of sucks for people. The whole Telltale situation kind of sucks for people who, like, for me, I can handle Batman, but what do you do if you want the conclusion of Walking Dead, or Wolf Among Us, or, well, or the Stranger Things game? What if you're really psyched? Well, Netflix is carrying that one, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely part of the problem, because I... I typically don't like, really like to buy episodic stuff until it's all done. Right. So I was going to wait until The Walking Dead was done before I bought it. But, I mean, I'm sure the low sales probably didn't help. And there probably was probably not. a bunch of people like me that just weren't getting it because they wanted to wait for it to be over. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, since I haven't played any of it, I'm not left on any big cliffhanger that they left. So. Right. You conclude with the last season. So you're yeah, okay. Which, I mean, 
it's I mean it's just another open ended ending. It's like you make up your own ending. All right, Clementine had a happily ever after. Whatever. There she died as an old woman. Now the the problem is, and I realize we're sort of part of it because we're doing this too, is understandably there's an outpouring of feedback from fans after the closure. Um, you know they want the final Walking Dead, whatever, to the point that Telltale, as I mentioned before, is now actively shopping the remaining couple episodes around to potential parties, and that's totally fine. That's great. I want my Batman on Switch, which won't happen. I know. But Isn't here's the problem. Is it a port job at some point? I it is just a port job. So someone else could do it, but someone else has to get the publishing rights. But here's the bigger problem. And we're guilty of this. Just play it on your fancy new XS. My iPhone XS in space gray, sitting right here in front of me with its uh, face ID. So fake. So fake. What do you mean it's fake? It's just so shiny. It looks like a knockoff. It's glass. Yeah. That's why. Just, it's very I'm... resilient gra- glass grass. <laughs> you can drop this from apparently eight feet on asphalt and it doesn't crack. Oh. Someone tried it. I'm not going to try. Don't even ask. But no, what I was getting at is like it's great that everyone's passionate about these games and we're guilty of this too. No one's really thinking about the fact that the employees need to come first. Like Telltale's seeking out these potential partners to finish up Walking Dead, right? But there's no word on whether anyone who worked on the game is going to get paid. None of them got severance. They're all screwed over. There's one employee who worked till 3 a.m. the morning the night before they got fired expecting, oh, yeah, 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 when I get my next paycheck, I'll get overtime, whatever. And they just got cut loose. Like where's the compensation for that? Where's the compensation for employees who worked on those two episodes being shopped around? If someone picks them up, great. They're going to make a ton of money off it. What do those employees get? Probably nothing. Or how about the people that, came, that worked on the one that came out on Tuesdays, episode two? How about anyone that worked on anything at Telltale? Like, they they got fired with zero warning. They got zero severance. They had a whole 30 minutes to clean out their desk and leave. Like, is Telltale seriously just going to cash in on these people's work and not pay them? They're just, like, I don't know. They're going to... It just leaves so many of these folks, many of whom have families that they take care of, many of whom live in the insane black hole of money that is San Francisco. Like, the rent is so high there. It's tough like, do they have to just deal with it themselves because the mismanagement of Telltale's higher-ups and now Telltale won't even pay them for the work they did, but they're going to shop around the games anyway? I don't know. It's yeah. it's a crappy situation. It doesn't help that, like, the immediate reaction of many fans, including us, is not that they want the games to continue, but that they're angry over Telltale... They're angry that Telltale is closing because Clementine won't have her conclusion or whatever. Not the men, men and women behind Clementine. They're angry that Clementine won't have her conclusion. And I get it. I'm saying this about Batman on a smaller scale. But, like, the experience with the characters in the worlds that you're complaining about is, may, is made by these people that just lost their job. Like, they care. What about the guy who rendered Clementine's hair? Maybe his family's going to go hungry now. Like, who knows? Like it's, but people are still like, what about Clementine? And it's just like, if fans are demanding the games be finished... That's fine, but they should probably also at least equally be like, hey, I want the guys who made my favorite game or my game I really enjoy or my story I like to hear. I want them to have money too because if there's not that sort of like equal output or whatever about not output, outpouring for those people, Telltale's just going to be like, yeah, we'll make you your game and we'll keep the money. That's fine. There's no like reason they have – there's no one holding them accountable. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean to be fair – there has been some traction among fans on Twitter to make sure the devs get their due. Um, it's just surprising to me that we didn't see more of that from the Telltale diehards. Like, there are all these petitions and stuff and crowdfunding things that are just like, yeah, we want we want the story. It's like, but the people. Like, I, I honestly, it's a bigger problem than just gaming. 
I'm sure you can attest. You are in the animation and movie world. Sorta. Yeah, for someone that wants to get into the the video game industry for animation, um, it is pretty scary just seeing like that studio closures are common. common. Yeah, like it's it's yeah it's, it's just common. And sometimes they just come out of nowhere. Like one moment you hear La Noire is doing great, and then boom, the studio shut down. Yeah, and it's like people forget that these studios, the there are people behind all these things, and lots of people. I mean. Dark Moon Studios had a first OK Transformers game that I loved. The second one hit it out of the park and did great. Then they did a Deadpool game, and then I think they just kind of fizzled out. I want to say they're also closed down. I mean, at least in those cases, often they get their severance. Like, what's weird about Telltale is they didn't even get severance. But the yeah, fact the, that there's yeah, this high turnover yeah, in the this, industry this, this is really This one seems bad. like one of the really bad closures. Yeah. Usually, I mean, closures are a natural part of the industry, and like you said, they do at least they get some help to... Like, so they can get back on their feet. Yeah. but And to be fair, the, in, the industry's rallying around these folks. There's been job fairs for them. Like, a bunch of the other companies have reached out. Their HR oh, yeah. teams. And like, it seems like they're doing the, the it. The industry like, is very... It's also a very, like, forgiving and friendly industry if you're, yeah. like, working in it. Like, I've I seen so many posts. Like, um, I've, I got to meet the recruiter for Sony. And so I follow him on LinkedIn. And every time there's, like, a studio closure, there were at least, like, three in the last, like four months and every single time which is he, way too high by the way yeah and every single time he would send out like a personal like 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 a, oh here's a message to these people right um yeah like we are currently hiring at sony like reach out to me in my personal email blah 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 Stuff i like i just wish the fandom would understand that more and we're I, we're guilty of it too i mean my our first reaction i think when telltale closes oh no not my favorite game but really it should be oh no not the creators of my favorite game like the way the game industry is positioned you don't think about that there are people with lives and families and needs behind all these. You just, I mean, we even take this for granted with Nintendo. I can rattle off the names Miyamoto, Tezuka, Numa, Sakura. You know, I could say all, say all those. And I know they're figureheads of these big, important games in our lives. But Breath of the Wild had over 100 people on that project. All those people together are what made that game. It wasn't Numa alone. He had the vision, perhaps. But he needed the people that knew how to do the animation. He needed the guy that was really good with the sound cues to do that awesome like um sound design they had they needed every person on the team and it's just kind of unfortunate that our in that this industry and it's true of movies too and tv but these industries you only yeah. look at the work you don't look at who made the work I mean, at the full in, breadth of it especially in animation like if you look at like toy story people for the most part would be like oh look tom hanks it's all about tom hanks he's the one mm-hmm. it's almost like tom hanks gets all the credit for why woody is woody but but it's anim- just a voice. But the animator has just as much, if not more, like, pull than he does. And even then, there's still the storyboard artist that dictated a lot of those movements. And even then, you still have the screenwriter that wrote all, not like, right. how everything would play out. But you don't think about so it. So, if like anything, that. like, Tom Hanks, like, he's literally just reading the lines. Like, he, yeah. And do you know how many times, like, I'm sitting in Marvel And because movie. it's animation, you don't really have a lot of improv. So, it's not like... Right. You can't just yeah. riff. And do you realize how many times, like, we're seeing in a movie, like a Marvel movie, where you have to stay through the credits to see the real ending, quote-unquote, or the bonus, and you just hear someone go, wow, so many people animated this, as if they had no idea. Like, it's really common, and I get why people don't realize it. It's not shared or publicized in any way. The Oscars don't bring all the animators. They bring, like, a handful of people that were directors and producers. Yeah, so it's a director and... And the voice actors. And the voice actors. Yeah, and gaming's the same way. Animation doesn't really get its due until the Annecy Awards, which does, like, like congratulate, like, oh, here's the best animator for this specific scene that they mm-hmm. animated. Or, 
Um, there's a um, there's a gaming convention or something that actually GDC. The, GD, don't, don't they also have like very specific awards? They do, but not that granular. Uh-huh. Like it's granular, but not that granular. But yeah, there's no real. It just, yeah, there's like no, you know, like everyone's like, oh, is Miyamoto working on Pikmin Four? It's like, yeah, he might be like spearheading that, but I guarantee there's a whole team of people that have been working on it. No one cares if anyone but Miyamoto's working on it. Is it Miyamoto working on it? Is the question. And I realize some of this is shorthand, and people understand their teams, but it's just I, I feel like the industry we could benefit from shining a light more on the business side of gaming and the practices of studios and how they treat their employees. Yeah, but and Kudos Nintendo only showing us a lot of their, I guess. Exact. Yeah, I mean they are, and I was making that point that we know all the big head honchos' names, but and it's much better than it used to be. Miyamo was the only developer we knew the name of, so it is nice to see them start to broaden that. And I think they're doing that because they know Miyamo is going to retire and they have the next generation lined up. But even then, we know a dozen, and there are thousands. I think that Nintendo implies fellow. I think Nintendo implies yeah, literally he's a creative fellow. That's his exact title now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Nintendo employs five thousand people, and we know maybe twenty. Which, again, you, you aren't supposed to know how the sausage is made entirely. You only know 20? I only know 20. Maybe 25. But uh, I, I know we're not supposed to know entirely how sausage is made. But, like, there's ways we can show support for these developers who aren't appreciated. Like, they don't get unions most of the time. And so they're stuck in these situations where they're fired and there's no way they can turn. Like, maybe maybe unionizing is the way to go. And maybe gamers can support that. I don't really know. I'm just, I'm just throwing ideas out. But, like, this guy is something as fans be it of Telltale, of Nintendo, whoever can do to sort of be like, yeah, we got the back of the guys that make what we like. Because you, you got to realize it's more than just Miyamoto. It's the whole team. So I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox now. The way Telltale seems to be handling this whole thing just kind of bothered me because, you know, these folks deserve better. Um, yeah, but not closures. It's like other, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not conspiracies. Um, without closure, there's all sorts of alternate, uh, alternate endings. Hey! Yeah, we're at the dialogue tree of Telltale's future, and they'll they'll remember what you choose, or Clementine will remember that, or however you all word it. So this is the this is the moment. So if Telltale doesn't, even if they do the right thing in the end, if they're not saying it now, it could be a PR blowback. And honestly, the only reason this even came to light personally for me in this context was I played my first Telltale game firsthand, realized how much talent just got screwed over, and it's just like, okay, there's this is weird. Quite the tale so, to tell. So yeah, that's where I'm at. But anyway, there was one other big news event of note. Um, or well you would assume it would be a big news event but it kind of wasn't and that's the Tokyo Game Show so just to set the stage straight here up a bit lied to. You straight up lied to we'll get to that in a sec but just to set the stage here a bit straight up T- okay Travis Scott settle down uh-huh. uh, TGS he Travis Scott and all his songs in the background and all tunes like straight up or lit or things like that so every time he kept saying straight up he sounded like Travis Scott is that common knowledge like is in it- among Considering he's one of the biggest rappers in the world, I would say at least one listener understood that reference, and one is all I need. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, that's going to be me. I'm that listener when I listen to Is rap that. like the new pop? Yes. That's ridiculous. It's the new rock. Rock's dead. Rap's really? here now. Oh, God. Yeah, no, rock's pretty much dead. Foo Fighters are like the only ones that really do anything we're talking about. Uh, I don't mean we're talking about like we're talking <laughs> about in terms of quality. I mean we're talking about in terms of they're only ones that pop up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like K-Rock plays like marshmallow who's an edm guy it's weird anyway tgs i thought it was a fortnite player he's both whoa yeah crazy right it's like oh. how dead mouse plays PUBG and djs in fact marshmallow is the dead mouse of fortnite there i said they both wear funny hats i mean helmets <laughs> they're pretty funny <laughs> and they're both <laughs> and they both have exercise for some reason 
<laughs> I took a sip of water right when you said that. <laughs> they are pretty funny. <laughs> they are. Anyway. <laughs> um, where was it? What were we talking about? Tokyo TGS. Game Show. Yeah, so TGS. Um, happens I think I was starting mid-September? It, it happens mid-September in the city of Tokyo where they show games at a show. One That's why I'll, it's called Tokyo Game Show. Just a fun, fun fact. Seems like a... It's crazy. It, it's a huge show. It has 300,000 people attend every year. And the thing is, it's never really been a Nintendo-heavy event. But, in fact, like actually, Nintendo never really goes. I think this or last year was the first year they went, and all they went was as a uh, was a sponsor of the indie section. So their logo's just on the indie. You mean booth. they didn't have another Smash Ultimate booth? They did not have a Smash Ultimate booth. They never do TGS in a real capacity. But even when Nintendo doesn't go, with Switch being such a hot system, it just hit 5 million sold in Japan, which means it surpassed what Wii U did in only 18 months not bad in Japan alone uh, considering how hot the system is considering that most third parties support for Switch is from Japanese publishers you would think we'd get some news out of TGS like because all of them were there Nintendo wasn't there but Bandai Namco was there Square Enix was there Capcom was there all of the big guys were there so what did we get well Dragon Quest Eleven is coming to Switch and now it has an S on its name isn't that exciting the S if you're wondering stands for special as well as the Japanese words for both speaking and voice actor. So what they're saying is the Switch version is going to have voice acting. That's their big selling point right now. Which is weird because in the West, the PS4 version had voice acting. But it turns out in Japan, neither the PS4 version nor the 3DS version had voice acting. So they're kind of going full circle and bringing it back around. That was their... that We don't know the release date. We don't know any other features. We don't know what else special could mean. Literally, Oscar Enix said at TGS was, yep, we're bringing Dragon Quest XI to Switch still, and guess what? Voice acting. <laughs> That's girl. the only announcement from the biggest supporter of the Switch at TGS. Now, to be fair to Square Enix, they announced about 27,000 uh, Final Fantasy games the week prior. So I'll cut them some slack. We're getting a Chocobo Dungeon. We're getting a World Final Fantasy. We're getting Final Fantasy 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 18, 15, 14. We're getting Final Fantasies that haven't even been released yet. I think it's 8, 9, 10, Yeah, it's, 12, it's, it's 8, 9, 10, 12. Yeah. 7. No, it's seven, nine, ten, seven, nine, ten. It's four. only three. It's four. Counting. Is it four? No, I want to say it's three. One of those. Well, we're getting ten and ten two as a double battle. By the way, still can't get over how dumb of a name ten two is. Like I understand why because they're all their own stories, but still. Well, yeah, it's a sequel to, to Final Fantasy ten. Yeah. I know, but they could have called it like a subtitle, not ten two. I mean, Xenoblade 2 just came out with a sequel of I mean, sorts, and it doesn't have a 2. I mean, they learned their lesson. I mean, that's what they... That's true. They didn't do that with um, Final Fantasy Had like That's true. It just had seven different iterations, half of which still aren't out yet, so that's fair. Yeah, like, I think one of them was called Final Fantasy Thirteen Lightning Returns, another one, Vanilla Sky. I don't know. I forgot. Vanilla Sky, starring Tom Cruise? Oh, that's what that movie is? Yeah. That's the one oh. where he's running through Times Square and it's empty. Really? Which also sounds I've... exactly like a scenario that would play out in a Final Fantasy game, so... Sounds very JRPG. Anyway, yeah, so they didn't announce anything except voice acting. And then then you got Capcom, and they came in uh, at TGS, and they said... Well, like a few weeks ago, they were like, if you're an Ace Attorney fan, you cannot miss this announcement. Right, so then they go to TGS, and they say, Square Enix, nah, that's nothing. Check out our announcement for Switch, where you're, if you're a Phoenix Wright fan, as you just pointed out, you can't miss this. This is big. And you know what it was? A re-re-re-re-release of the first three Phoenix Wright games, all together, all on Switch, in one bundle, appropriately called Ace Attorney VX Wright Trilogy. That was it. That's all they got. Beyond me, why they don't include at least part four in it. Like, just throw in all the core DS games in there in one bundle. But... You know why? Because it takes a lot of effort to, as they put it, 
touch up the HD visuals for this new version. Not even like remaster, just touch up. Really? Someone's like, going with an airbrush and touching them up, and that's the new game. They were already made like perfectly fine for the I iPad. Know, and I know. Those. And the Retina display is HD, so yeah, it's already so... HD. I mean, it's cool to have them. Like for people who haven't had a chance to get into the series, like you know, some, a lapsed gamer that's now playing it, that's now you know switches their ticket back into the world of gaming. It is a very good trilogy. Phoenix Wright's very... I mean, I've already played the first, but I know you love them all, so I think it's safe to say it's a good trilogy. Yeah. It's like, it's a great opportunity for those people. It's just not the most... I mean, once you most... play through all of them, it almost feels like it's just one long game, because it's just right, one big story. Right, because they're all back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. It wasn't until yeah. 4 that they started doing branching different characters and stuff, right? Well, I mean, Or branching into different characters, I mean. Well, I mean, 4 is still Phoenix's story. It's, there's just a time gap. But, but they have Paul Justice introduced, don't they? That this is America. I mean, like you do play them the majority of the time, but it's still Phoenix's story. Oh, fair. I mean, okay. in Japan, it's called Ace Attorney Four. True. It's not. You mean it's called Phoenix, right? Four. No, it's called Ace Attorney. Well, 4, they're, they're all just Ace Attorney. Uh, okay. Like it's just right. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like not the most mind blowing announcement to have a TGS. I mean, are you gonna get it? You how many copies of Phoenix Wright do you own? Actually, let's start there. I think four. I have. Um, the original three. Just the cartridge by itself because when I first got into them and I was hunting them down, that's just the only way I could find them. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, um, then I wanted my brother to play them, but he didn't want to play on the DS because at that point the 3DS was already out and the screens were bigger and the DS screen is really tiny. Yes, it is. So I got them on the Wii as, as we, for WiiWare. So I got all three. Did you do the uh, swing the controller to point no. thing? And I picked it on like that, but then... Oh, yeah, and then eventually I bought another copy of all three so that I could have them in the original boxes sealed. Uh-huh. So I have that. And then I got them again on my iPad because that was the first time they were in HD and, like, better visuals. Mm-hmm. And you can mm-hmm. actually see a nice difference. I think I'm at four. I did not get the 3DS re-release that had 3D because at that point I was like, I've already played these games, like, five times. But will you not play it a fifth time, sixth time on Switch? I don't think I'm so. I'm guessing now. No. Yeah. I, I, at that point, I'm, I mean... I'm just going to stick with the iPad version. And what's more, I could um, mirror the display with the I- with the Apple, Apple TV. Apple TV, you can beam it wirelessly. It's like a Wii U. There you go. Not. I have yeah. Ace Attorney HD on my TV. There you go. I briefly, I will see what else is out around it. It's coming out in 2019, but I'm considering it because I only ever played the first Phoenix, right? Never played I mean, two or if three. If you like Telltale style games, I mean, this is, I, I would argue it's like the same thing yeah and i really like the first phoenix right i just replaced a movie this is now like the bridge between reading books and video games so the exact same thing as telltale but but for books is bridging that are you a bookworm guess what we have the game for you yeah because it's like yeah it's an interactive graphic novel yeah but and and the thing is like i do remember when the first one came out on ds in 2005 i'm waiting for you to confirm that i think it's five I don't know. Well, whenever it came out, <laughs> uh, there were short. Though. It sold significantly better than Capcom thought. There were shortages everywhere. This was like the first month or two it was out, and I went to Nintendo World in New York. I happened to be there within that month, and I went, and they had two copies, and I bought one of the two. I don't know why I would buy both. And then I think I played almost like three quarters of the game just on the plane ride back. Like it was, I was like hooked. And then I, for some reason, never bought it again. So I might actually double dip with uh, Phoenix Wright. But anyway, so yeah, that's what Capcom had to announce. That's it. Just, just that. And then Sega at TGS, they came in, and they said to both Capcom and Square Enix, nah, that's nothing. Check out our announcement for Switch, which was, wait for it. Came out in 2001. On Game Boy Advance. Yeah, on Game Boy Advance. Yeah. But then, so Sega's announcement on Switch was? I know, 2005. (laughs) Ah, I knew it. It was like August, right? October. Oh, I was a little off. Yep. 
Well, anyway, that's pretty close. But, yeah, so then, um, like I was saying, so Sega, they could have a big TGS. Twenty twin on the Wii. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Keep going. Keep, what else? Huh. And then 2010 on the iOS. I didn't know what that. Not far my, by the way, saying on the iOS makes you sound like you're 55. I just want you to know. <laughs> well, it's because I'm naming all the consoles, but yeah, I should have said the iPhone or whatever. Or on iOS. Because I mean, I said the Wii, the 3DS. On the iOS. On the 3DS. On the on inner, the, on the, on the super information super highway. 2014. Yeah. So it's like every few years they re-release it, basically. Yeah, basically. But yeah, so so that was Capcom, and they basically announced only that so now we're at square enix announcing an s capcom announcing a port and sega they then came in and announced 50 ports and in one package this is their big tgs announcement is they're porting a series of ports they're bringing over the sega genesis classics compilation which to be fair is kind of awesome it's 50 plus genesis games it includes four different sonics not not counting the spin-offs which are also there all the Golden Axes, all the Streets of Rages, both Turtle, uh, Turtle Jams, Toe Jams and Earls, Vector Man 1 and 2, Virtua Fighter 2, Kid Chameleon, Alex Kid, Fantasy Star, it just keeps going and going. Like any game you think of on Genesis at any following, cult or massive, it's there. But it's also a compilation that's been on PS4 and Xbox One since May or so. And PC. And PC. I will say though, the... So it's not really mind-blowing. The user interface, I've seen others play Sonic the Hedgehog on it. It's really awesome. I just love how it's like, a fake room and you put the games on. oh yeah it's really well done yeah like all that's really nice and take it or i mean i don't know it's a double-edged sword like i it is nice that they're all authentic to the game like they're pretty much just ported over you know they didn't add anything to it but what i like more about the newer ports like the nes collection that we have here on the wii or the other sega collection that we're not getting on the switch is that it has save states it has some other other one Sega Ages? Sega Ages? We're getting it. It's coming, Switch. It's coming. Oh, it's confirmed already? Uh, Sonic and something else, I think, are already out. or coming out in October. Uh, is it the same thing? There wasn't something. Yeah, Sega oh. Ages. So they announced, so the people that did 3D, 3D classics of the Sega games mm-hmm. on 3DS, M2, have now teamed up with Sega again to port over one by one Sega games to oh, the okay. eShop. I thought it was and, Sega, be... and Sonic's one of them, and the game where you fly the jet is another one, and they're doing virtual... Or they're oh, doing okay, Outrun next or something like that. I, I misunderstood. I thought I understood. I thought Sega Ages was like another compilation, oh. like Sega Classics, except all those were beefed up versions as opposed to standard. It is. Music. It's just you buy it piecemeal. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. But so yeah, that's that's also coming to. So yeah, either way, like those ports and those people did a great job. Like I saw. Oh yeah. Like I yeah. saw with play the 3D classics on his 3DS, and those are really. Oh, really they're cool. really cool. Which, but it's kind of funny though, because you have Sega now being like, "Hey, here's 50 games for 60 bucks that you can go buy on a shelf, a physical store shelf, or you can buy slightly enhanced versions individually at a drip feed of a rate." Four. For I don't know, like six or seven bucks, but we're gonna do that piecemeal starting at about the same time. So you kind of got to pick your poison. I mean, I get yeah, it. Um, I do get why they're doing both. Cause, yeah, and, and it seems perfectly fair, especially because, I mean, on one hand, it's like going for a summer Steam sale. You buy a ton of games, and you're probably not going to play any of them. But if you yeah. buy on piecemeal, you're more actually... Go play them. Yeah. And then more for Sega's like business perspective. I mean, nostalgia from the 90s. 90s nostalgia right now is still crazy high. And this plays, this plays you know perfectly into that. I mean... There's a reason that Sony is now ripping off Nintendo's classic editions with a mini PS1. Ripping off is a strong word. They're borrowing the idea, and they're doing their own PS1 classic for the holidays. And I Sega do like was how good. that. Huh? I do like how it looks. It looks not. I mean, it looks like a PS1, yeah, but tiny. Yeah, it's tiny. But 
at that point, they're that's a hundred bucks. They're they're PS one model two was basically that size. Yeah, remember they also had a tiny PS one. Yep, yep. And the thing about that one is it played any game, yeah. and it was also about a hundred bucks. Huh. Yeah, and this one's twenty only. Then again, it's not like the games are uh, they're easy to find ish. I guess if you go to the right place. Yeah, I mean, I it'll be interesting to see how this one does. Cause it's the first, in. it's the first three D mini console. Like Sega's also doing a mini Genesis that got delayed to next year. Turbo Graphics so has a mini, mini Genesis. Yeah, well, but they're doing like the NES style where it's all yeah. um, nicer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll see how it goes. But I do get why Sega and Sony are putting these things on haul on you know on store shelves. Like the compilation isn't the Genesis Classics isn't for us. It's for the casual shopper who's in a store and they see it on a shelf. I'm like, oh, I want to show my kid all those games. I want to release it. the N64 already. I want to next year. Yeah, I just want to have access to Smash Bros. 64. Ironic. Next year. Surprisingly, that's like the only dated version of Smash Brothers that I would actually be interested in playing and playing more of. Especially because my brother-in-laws are like, they're like gods at it. Right. And actually, now that I mentioned it, um, yesterday I actually played some of Brawl. I played Brawl for quite some time. How's Brawl hold up? Oh my god. Like That bad? I. How th- bad is tripping in retrospect? <laughs> Um, I forgot it was a thing until it happened a few times. And, and then I'm you like, allowed Geez. to murder yourself? But, I don't know. It's funny. That game, I mean, I pretty much stopped playing it altogether after Smash 4 came out. But, yeah, the rose-colored glasses, I romanticized a few aspects of it. Like, oh, I'm pretty sure Wolf and Pokemon Trainer and blah, blah, blah. These things are yeah. so cool. But, no, they're not. Like, the, <laughs> the game looks super dated. Really? Like, it's Even funny. visually? Yeah, like, it's funny because you think, like, oh, like, Smash, but on all those stages, like, they look the same, all the character models look the same, but, man, like, Nintendo really did put a lot of work into, like, making them look better. Like, the I'm animations are way more fluid in the new one. Everything feels so stiff because every, all the animations are a lot stiffer. It almost feels like, like, I hate to say it, but, like, it almost feels like a fan-made, like, game or something. That's so weird. But it's funny because when that was the only game available, that was, it like, was that was, like, amazing and it was good. And then, before you know, we were, we were remembering, like, oh, like, damn, like, Meta Knight could glide in this game? What the hell? His B is basically indestructible, and... This is my fear, by the way, of yeah. any... I mean, that's what I thought about Luigi's Mansion. I thought, I, my memory, like, I still love that game, the gameplay itself, and the yeah. design are still great, but I thought that game looked great in my head. I'm like, wow, like, that, that, that GameCube game looked amazing. a lot blockier in person, yeah. And then when I looked at it, within, like, the last four years, I say, I was like, wow, I, my brain did a lot of work. So. Yeah, this is this is my fear about a PS One classic and N sixty four classic. But at least N sixty four games, I still play them regularly. That I'm not right, so you're kind of used or, to it. Yeah, or I still see them regularly. That I'm like, all right, I still. They just look so distinct. It's not like trying to be good. It's like playing Grand Theft Auto three. Yeah, but but I still think there is a lot of people that are expecting it to look better. Because when okay, when you look at like classic NES or SNES classic, you're kind of like, right, this is. It's not like it looks bad. It's like that's the look of the yeah. time. Like. Super Nintendo was really good 2D. NES was really iconic in how it's tra- yeah. like, like it's an art style. And, and but box- if you look at N64 or PS1, it looks like it's just, except for some of the iconic games, a lot of it just looks like, wow, technology sucked back then. And I don't know, the PS1 will be an interesting test for N64 because I don't know how much nostalgia will be like undercut Saved, by yeah. how it actually looks. It's going to be significant. You know I mean? Like I'm yeah. seeing how it's going to hurt it. Like I was watching Ridge Racer. Like I watched the PS1's trailer. <sighs> any, Ridge any, Racer 2 any used realist- to look amazing. Any, no, it does not. Yeah, any realistic car racing game looks terrible from the 90s. Yeah. You know? 
See, I think I think to cruising its favor, USA, the Cruisins like, almost look okay because they did like sprite work on top of the models. Yeah, but the backgrounds the like, backgrounds look for, really for, black, yeah. but they're all sprites, so it doesn't look like bad. It just looks really dated. But like the actual modeled stuff, like what Ridge Racer does, just looks bad. Yeah, like it doesn't have the the retro visual appeal in the same like Final Fantasy 7 looks okay Mario 64 looks okay like those games where it's like okay that's sort of an iconic thing but the games that aren't as iconic for their visuals but are iconic for other reasons they're gonna suffer yeah so PS1 will be a really good test of how N64 does in terms of just like can it capture visually capture the nostalgia and I, I don't think the answer is yes but then something like Genesis Classics that will definitely capture nostalgia because they look great all old flat sprite based games look great like Vector Man, even it's like, oh, that's that's cute. They tried three D. Like it looks fine, <laughs> so it'll, it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, to the broader point about Tokyo Game Show, that was kind of it. We got a Dragon Quest name, a Phoenix Wright port, and then fifty Genesis ports that were ported to another system. Like the the source stuff, I'd expect to see revealed at TGS simply wasn't there this year. I mean, take for example. The announcement of a new R-Type coming to Switch. That happened, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. We didn't get a chance to cover it last episode. But here's a classic franchise. It's being revived on the Haas platform. It's a series that has roots in Japanese gaming. It's a series that can easily play off nostalgia for attendees at TGS and convince them to try it. But instead it was announced in a press release that easily could have just... You know, it's not time to the show. It's just They popped it out whenever they felt like it. And the thing is, like, it, it's actually kind of cool the game it's called r-type dimensions it has the original levels from r-type 1 and 2 but what they're doing is they're letting you play them either classic graphics or hd graphics that don't look that great and um they're adding the ability to speed up or slow down so you actually can change the flow of the game and they're adding two-player co-op with two joy cons they're adding an achievement system like they're really kind of modernizing classic r-type and that seems appealing you know if they make a good price on the eShop, that could be appealing but instead of presenting it to gamers who are hardcore fans, I'd be like, oh, dude, it's R-Type. They just pump it on a press release, like, whatever. Because game conventions don't seem to matter anymore. It's exactly the type of thing that would normally have been at a game convention. Yet even these smaller games, just they're finding it more beneficial to do their own reveal on their own time and get their own little baby news cycle instead of getting swallowed alive by 27 other announcements or 52 other announcements or whatever that used to happen. And, I mean, this isn't a new topic. I feel like every E3 or so, we talk about how the internet has kind of killed the need to announce things at shows, and then you have fan events like PAX or Comic-Con or, hey, even E3 and TGS that just become the place you demo the games you've already heard about. And it's probably why Microsoft is bringing back the uh, independent XO Xbox events. going to be in, I think, Mexico City in November. It's why PlayStation has PlayStation Experience, except this year they don't because their words, they don't have enough content. Um... You know, it's why Nintendo doesn't. It's why the Nintendo Direct we had last episode that we talked about, arguably had more content than their entire E3 showing this year. Like, there more first-party games were talked about there than all of E3, and it's because like you don't need to necessarily be at a convention anymore. I mean, I don't, I don't remember the shift being quite as apparent as it was with TGS this year. It's not like TGS is dying. Three hundred thousand people is not dying. That's a lot of attendees. That's the biggest show, like one of the biggest shows in the world. Gamescom maybe rivals it. It's just interesting to see the shift be this big, this fast, and all the announcements just like fall to the wayside. So, so that's my two cents on that. I just kind of was hoping for some surprises at TGS, and we, we, we did not get that. Um, and the thing is, though, to be fair to these game developers, their new strategy works. I mean, look no further than the August MPD chart, which is my way of sliding us into adjacent sales corner. 
because yeah the industry is still growing leaps and bounds even with everyone not announcing things at conventions anymore industry sales are up 26 percent year over year hardware was up 28 percent led by switch at number one for another month software is up 16 percent so like people are clearly getting the gaming news they need from the internet and buying things so it's working like they, they, we're just gonna see further and further that e3 and tgs and those things become less news reliant and more just fan events like packs like they're all gonna be on the same footing um of course since it's august back to mpd though let's talk some mpd numbers since it's august the top game of the month was madden it's always madden there's only been one august ever when it wasn't madden at number one and that was because madden came out right at the end of august and actually fell into the september reporting window otherwise it would have been number one but yeah it's madden at number one um then the rest of the top 10 is like this weird smattering of kind of older games it's really strange like monster hunter world that's at number two it got the boost thanks to the pc version coming out tom clancy's rainbow six siege of all games was number three off some a big dlc release and here's the weird one call of duty modern warfare 2 a game for the xbox 360 was number eight on the chart this month years after its release and it was number eight solely off the fact that xbox one's backwards compatibility now supports modern warfare 2 which to me is just kind of crazy that that got that high off that. But hey, more power to Activision. For Nintendo, they also had kind of older titles that did best. Uh, Mario Kart 8, number 5 on the chart. Breath of the Wild, number 9 on the chart. Mario Odyssey came in at number 10. If you expand to the top 20, you've got Mario Tennis Aces at number 16. So in the case of Mario Tennis, it's still selling for sure. But it's not necessarily the permanent evergreen like those big three of Kart, Zelda, and Mario that are always in the top 10, it feels like. Um, and then in terms of new games, uh, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, which came out in August, that made the top 20. It was number 14. Ooh, without which, my help. Without your help, and for an enhanced port of a game that was on 3DS, that seems pretty decent to me. Like, that doesn't seem that bad to come in at number 14 well, when you're an old game. if it's decent to you, then it's decent to me. Well, that sounds great then. But what, what um, well, actually, if I'm more interested than any of these numbers I just spouted off, this time around at least, is what's within the Switch-only top 10 list. So looking just at Switch games, like all the games I just told you, those all made the top five in the Switch list, obviously. If they're in the top 20, for everyone, they're going to be in the top five for Switch. But then you've got Octopath Traveler at number six, which suggests it's still selling pretty well. It just came up just shy of making the overall top 20. So that's that's impressive considering it's a JRPG. It's on its second month. Usually those types of games are front-loaded. This one's still trucking along on some level. Under that, number seven is Splatoon 2, which on the one hand, you could argue is performing at that level thanks to Octo Expansion DLC coming out in June and giving it a bump. Uh, but I imagine Nintendo wished that it was higher in that list. I did imagine you ever get that? I did not, but I have not finished the single player of Splatoon, shockingly. Oh. Did you? No, but I did finish the single player of the first one. I the first just... one or the second one? Uh, the, the, the first single player of the second yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah I, think, I think Nintendo would have liked me and others to maybe spread the word about Octo Expansion, yeah. boost the sales I overall. I think it fell out of that game, but I mean, I know it's all good, but... Mm-hmm. At this point, it's either your Smash Brothers or it isn't. For you. <laughs> no, I mean, like, that's what it's... Oh, It's, it's oh, someone's yeah, Smash yeah. Brothers. Right, I see what you're saying. Like, but yeah, I, I think you're Nintendo fully would, have, would argue they want it to be like Kart and Mario and Zelda, where it's always in the top ten and it can become everyone's Smash Brothers. Not it is or it isn't, but, like, it can become. But it, it's trucking along. It's just kind of under the radar. So I'm sure it's still selling good numbers. In Japan, it's the number one selling Switch game. It's doing fine in Japan. But in the West, it's maybe not quite hitting the numbers Nintendo wants, but it's, it's holding its own. The The bigger bummer for me is on the 3DS side, I'm sort of sad that WarioWare Gold couldn't even make it to number one on the 3DS only top 10. 
Um, you may recall last episode, it was behind Pokemon after one day of sales on the chart. And now we know it remained behind Pokemon after a whole month of sales on the chart. Well, it when you mean behind Pokemon, it, do you mean like way behind in the no, end? No, it was everything it, it, is so behind technically, Pokemon? to be fair, it's both ahead of Pokemon and behind Pokemon. Pokemon Ultra Sun was number one. WarioWare Gold was number two. Ultra Moon was number three. Oh. Now, we don't have any idea what those numbers are, but as a diehard WarioWare guy, I would have liked to see it be the number one game on the 3DS chart considering what beat it is a nine-month-old game. I mean... Well, Wario's not number one. I know, and he always says I'm number one, and yet he's not. He is fake news. He is a liar. He's a fraud. He's a cheat. Actually, all these things are true about him. He is all those things, and he takes pride in that. So I guess I'm complimenting him? I don't know. But yeah, it um was not... I mean, we this is only based on physical sales. So it's possible eShop sales... Like, Nintendo doesn't provide their eShop numbers for tracking, so possibly with eShop he was number one. I like to think Wario was number one. Um... But yeah, we all these numbers I just went through don't really. I think he did well enough. I should first say that um, the Warrior's not going to go anywhere. It's not like the game bombed, but I just would like to see it do better. But more to the point, all these numbers we always talk about in MPD, they're all based strictly on physical. So whatever Nintendo's doing digitally, maybe Splatoon's killing it digitally. Maybe Monster is killing it digitally. Maybe you know Cart Odyssey, Breath of the Wild are all killing it digitally even more than they are physically. We don't really know. And, and the other thing about these MPD charts that we never really talk about is not just the potentially out-of-whack numbers, we also don't know player counts. So a game like Rocket League, which just passed 50 million players, that success isn't easily identifiable on here because most of those people are downloading it and playing it digitally. Or perhaps a better example is Fortnite. There is no physical version of Fortnite. It's a download-only game. So we have no way of knowing how it's going to chart, even though they're just pumping out numbers that passed 78 million players for the first time in August. That's a new record for the game. And we we never get to see that on this chart. So this chart is a little skewed. It's good for physical games, but nothing more, really. And that's something I never really say, but it's probably worth pointing out. I will say... In the case of Fortnite, um, we will get a better taste of its direct impact now that's being bundled with systems. Both Nintendo and Microsoft announced that they're getting hardware bundled centered around Fortnite, uh, which is kind of funny because Sony is now finally willing to play ball and try out crossplay. They're first doing it with Fortnite and PS4 in a beta state, and then if that works well, they're going to expand it to other games. So they announced this, and it's like, oh, they're all on even ter- they're all on even ground. Finally, everyone has the same Fortnite experience. And then Switch and Xbox are still one step ahead because, like, right in tandem with this, like, oh, but we we have Fortnite bundles. Sony doesn't have that, but we do. So yeah, once they're still trying to catch up, Sony. But anyway, what this means is, in Nintendo's case, you'll get a Switch for three hundred dollars. If you get the one with the Fortnite logo on the box, it'll come with extra gear in the game and a free one thousand V bucks, which translates to ten free real bucks so it's not the biggest thing but you know it's like ten dollars off and depending on how these bundles do as individual SKUs, but the switch one and the xbox one we may get a sense of what fortnite's direct impact is like but hard to say and and i mean for nintendo like whatever fortnite does it's just another way to boost those switch sales i mean they have so many bundles that are gonna sell so much pre-orders of pokemon let's go bundles already sold out in canada apparently sold out in under 10 minutes and then that smash bundle that thing's gonna do gangbusters. And you know how I know it's gonna do gangbusters? Not just because of the smash on it. It just so happens that a game starring Isaac, who's not in Smash, but is rumored to be in Smash, is the number one selling DS game in the year 2018. Golden Sun Dark Dawn has sold enough copies on DS to be the top selling DS game, which granted isn't a huge achievement, 
But that's a game that bombed originally. It did not do well at all. That's why Nintendo stopped the series. And yet, here it is. I don't actually know if it's called Dark Dawn. I have a different name. But point is. is, here. okay, cool. But here it is now, number one selling DS game. And it's been the number one selling DS game. I dug into it. It's been number one since like May, which is when the Isaac rumors first started. So if if Isaac potentially being a Smash character can boost Golden Sun to be this well of a to basically probably make up it for its bombing eight years later, seven years later, I don't see why a Smash bundle wouldn't obviously do quite well. So, so it'll be interesting interesting to see how it all plays out. But that's kind of a quick run through of Jason Sales Corner. Um, until then, we've been playing things. We have games to play. We have games to talk about. Before we get to discussing entirely new games we've been playing, I do want to quickly revisit one I'm continually playing, if you don't mind. And yes, of course, I'm talking about Pokemon Go. Oh, goody. Yeah, I know you're over Pokemon Go, but I want to bring this up real quick because I think they did something super cool last weekend. And that is the introduction of Meltan, who's a brand new Pokemon that never... Asterix. <laughs> he is brand new. He's never existed. What do you mean, Asterix? He's new. He's old? He's new. Everything new, like I mean, like yes, he's a new Pokemon that didn't exist before. He's today, number eight ninety one. He's but, new, but he's not like his own completely new species. Like I thought he was. What is he? Wait, what is he? He's just a Ditto. No, he's he's more than a Ditto. He's no. a whole new Pokemon. No, he's just a Ditto that. He looks like a Ditto that has a bolt on his head, but I was under the impression he's an entirely new Pokemon. No, he's a he's a Ditto. When did they say this? Oh um, no, there, there's a there's a video that the that, two minute long cringy thing. Yeah, like where they talk about it, and then um. Are you sure you're not just confused because he is a Ditto in Pokemon Go? If you catch him, no, it's a it's a Ditto that's gone through like a extra transformation. It's like a Ditto offshoot. What? Hold on. No, I refuse to believe this. Yeah, Meltran Ditto offshoot. I don't know how better to search this. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the right word is. I don't know is. either. Uh, are you sure? I don't know if I believe you. Cause, so basically, and it makes sense because like the body looks like literally that. just a Ditto with a nut on it, and then after they. Revealed that I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Are you sure that they're saying he's a type of Ditto versus what I thought they were saying, which is you catch a, a Ditto has found this new Pokemon and is turning itself into that. So when you catch it, it turns back to Ditto as a way to tease the Pokemon without letting you catch the Pokemon because you can only catch him and let's go. Because that's how I interpreted it. Because every time you catch him in Pokemon Go, he turns into Ditto. The premise being these Ditto's just found this Pokemon and now you're getting a tease of him. Could be. Maybe. I mean, he does look a little like Ditto. I'll give you that. But I thought the way they handled his rollout was really cool. So for those who don't play Pokemon Go still or weren't with me when I was with Angel and he had to hear me talk about this at a zoo last Saturday when it all happened, which is very fitting to be at a zoo when you discover something. Um, What they did is after the monthly community day that they always do, they just had these guys start popping up with no explanation at all, and they turned to Ditto. So at first you'd see a couple, and then it became like everything that day was them, and... You eventually learn, courtesy of this video that you're referencing, which is super cringy, by the way. Like, the video, it's it's voice acting. It's a chat between Willow and Oak, Professor Willow and Oak. That's fine. But it's just like, Willow's like, hey, I found this new Pokemon. And Oak's like, oh, is it a Pikachu or an Eevee? And like, could you spell out your marketing for Let's Go any clearer? Like, of all two Pokemon to pick, why would you pick those? Those aren't interesting. They're Pikachu and Eevee. They're the most... Anyway, point is, uh, they revealed a few days later it's this guy called Meltran, uh, or Meltan, sorry. And just the way they handled it, cringy video aside, I thought was really cool. Because for me personally, it reminded me a lot of when Pika Blue was a thing back in the middle school days. 
Like there's all the confusion and speculation. What is this thing? Where did it come from? Is it a glitch? Is it a Pokemon? Why does it look like that? What's its role? What What's it do? And no one really knew. So like it kind of harkened back because we were when we were at the zoo, you and me, we were with a friend of ours who also still plays. And the two of us were like, what is this? Like we were having a whole conversation about what it could be or what it could mean. Is it a glitch? Is it that? I was back at work on Monday. People I play with at work, what is this? Is it a glitch? I think it's a glitch. It's not. They said it was marketing. You know, all that was very reminiscent of when Pika Blue, which became Merrill in Gold and Silver, uh, but everyone called him Pika Blue initially, like kind of first leaked out. And it sort of captured that feeling of like, like the excitement and the speculation and, and the confusion, like all that took me back to those days. And it was just kind of cool to see it recreated in a more modern sense. Plus, you obviously had the extra fact that you discovered a Pokemon. The entire premise of Pokemon Go is you're discovering new Pokemon, and then there's actually one that we all collectively discovered together for the first time. The bummer is, once they finally revealed what it was, they did it by Oak going, Oh yeah, I have this piece of paper about him right here. It's like, how many how many Pokemon does Oak secretly have they're just not talking about? Like what? It kind of undercuts the entire like fun of discovering it. But nonetheless, it was kind of cool. Um, it was a smart way to introduce him. It was a smart way to get people talking. He will be catchable in Let's Go in a special capacity. We don't know what that is for the time being. If you see him in Pokemon Go, he turns into a Ditto, which previously was very hard to get, and it's kind of a nice way to let people catch a lot of Dittos if they want them. So it, to me, it's a really cool like win-win thing. It really captured the old spirit of like the discovery of new Pokemon back when it was in its original prime. So I thought that was really cool. It was really smart of them. What wasn't smart, or what hasn't been smart in the time since, is... Um, so they handled that wonderfully. And then these same people had a not-so-good idea of how they should handle Pokemon Let's Go's handheld mode. And I realize I haven't been playing this. It's not out yet. But this news kind of broke right after this, so they're kind of in tandem. But it turns out that um, previously we were told Pokemon Let's Go will require motion control in handheld mode, in tabletop mode, in TV mode. No matter how you play, you got to use motion. you got to swing your, con- your system or your controller to catch a Pokemon, kind of mirroring the uh, flick to catch in normal Go. That's fine. Whatever. Then, Pokemon Company's like, okay, some of you are unhappy about that. So guess what? You don't have to use motion controls. You know what you can do? If you put your Switch in handheld mode, flat on a table, and then you flick the stick, while keeping the Switch flat, you flick your control stick, and then you hit the A button, we'll go ahead and let you do that instead of motion controls. And it's like, oh, why does that have to be flat on the table? Good fine folk at Game Freak and the Pokemon Company International. And their answer is... Because you can't actually turn off motion control. You're basically keeping the system still so it doesn't detect motion. And when it doesn't detect motion, it does this instead. Why? Why don't they just put a toggle that lets you turn it off? Like, what are they thinking? What if you're on a bus? Hard. What if you're on a train? What if you're on a boat? I don't know who's playing Pokemon on a boat, but what if you're on a boat? You're asking too much of them, Jason. Apparently I am. Like, I get, you know, they announced that, like, Super Mario Party wouldn't support handheld mode. That's a separate thing that was announced by Nintendo. That I understand. You're playing a multiplayer game where some of the controls require motion. You can't just have one person be in handheld mode and somehow do it when the other three are doing something different. So sure, that makes sense. I don't get why Let's Go is not supporting it on any level. Like, it, well, I should rephrase. I don't get why they're supporting it halfway. I get why they're, if they don't want to support it because they're saying it makes it too easy to catch. Like, if that's the thing, just turn it off completely. But instead, they're being like, well... You could sort of jerry-rig your own way of playing without motion if you want, but you have to, like, tower over your system on a table. She's like, no, just either do it right or don't do it. Like, this weird task step is really bizarre to me. And it's strange that's coming from the same people that I thought so expertly did the Meltan rollout, like, two days prior before announcing this. So, I don't know. That's my two cents on Pokemon. Game's still great. 
Pokemon yeah, Go is still right. I, I, I looked it up again, and I hadn't. My only knowledge of Meltdown was just like the videos you should. Well, that video, yeah. and I guess just like. Yeah, he is like a mysterious. And, and the image I saw, so I'm pretty sure it is what you said, where yeah. like the Ditto saw the Meltdown. Yep. But even so, like I guess that the was design's just, a little lazy. That was just my first impression because like it literally has the exact same body shape as Ditto, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. down to the same two bumps on top, down to the same extremities and the same bottoms. He's, it's almost like a Ditto got electrocuted and then got bolt stuck to his face. And now he's a new Pokemon. Because yeah. he has a tail that looks like a fried wire. Yeah. And he has a bolt on his face. People were calling him Nut Boy because he had like a nut yeah. bolt thing. Which to me it makes sense. It's like, all right, Ditto could transform into anything. He could change his chemical composition. Maybe he, there's yeah. some that just touched something and it just like messed with their DNA. Yeah, so there's something. awesome lore opportunities to explore the backstory of Meltan. But I don't think they've publicly said he is Ditto. At least not yet. No, no, no. no. He, yeah. said he's just a Ditto that's transforming into him. Right. Yeah. And he just happens to look like Ditto. Right, right. That's why so many people thought it was a glitch because they're like, oh, it's just a glitched out Ditto. Tonight. And for the first few days, Niantic wouldn't say no. Their marketing head just put que- just tweeted question marks to the photo. Yeah. Which obviously, if you look back, it's like, well, he's teasing it. He's not saying it's broken. But While I have you here. Um, Who, me? Yeah, since we're talking about controls, um, I'm pretty sure I just missed it in the Traders for Super Mario Party. But there are a couple of videos where it shows like 10 characters playing at once. Is that an online thing? I have no idea. A local thing? <laughs> I have no idea. Because when I look at Nintendo's official page for Super Mario Party, it just says maximum four players. And when you look at the playing online, it's still kind of implied that you're playing with four people. But there are these mini games that are clearly using like up to ten characters. What if you're controlling multiple at once? Use your thinking cap. What if you're? it's one of those things like those games where you control two people platforming simultaneously, but it's two characters. And you have to somehow make it so they both walk the same way without dying or something. I mean, unless they're... I don't know. I, that's my idea. The, the only thing answer. I could think of is they're doing the exact same thing they did for Mario Party 5 or 6, the one where... Pass the controller? No, it's 5 or 6 or 7. No, it's 5 or 6. Whichever whichever one lets you do 8 people, where one person holds one half of the GameCube controller and uses the shoulder button, the analog stick, and the other person uses the C stick and yeah, the, the other analog stick. But the Joy-Con, that doesn't work. There's yeah. only one stick. No, because... In theory... Not the Pro Controller, the Joy-Con. No, no, yeah. If you have a complete Joy-Con, like a, a complete, like, ha- pretty much a dual hand mode. Yeah. Like, one person could be holding one half and the other person be holding the other half. You mean they each hold an individual Joy-Con? Essentially, yeah, but the weird thing... So, but, you could do it with Pro so, Controllers, so, so, maybe? Maybe so, it supports up to eight, well, some Pro, some Joy-Con? Kind well, of like mean, Smash? Well, I mean, it would still work with, yeah, Joy-Cons, but if... That's how I guess they can get to that number because right now I know you could connect up to eight Joy Cons to one Switch. We do it with Barman, yeah. So if you if they want to get ten characters, in theory, one person would have to share a controller. To be honest, I have no idea so... how they're gonna do that. I mean, it's out in it's out by our next episode. Yeah. So, so... we'll have answers. We'll have answers for everyone listening. But as of right now, because yeah, that's a good if, question. Because if that's an actual thing, that could be amazing. Because that's <laughs> a lot of people that we could support. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Considering it, we have big group stuff with like yeah, ten or twelve, that'd be, be perfect. Because like a lot of really fun party games unfortunately like kind of cap out at four or five players mm-hmm. sometimes nine sometimes Jackbox eight Jackbox being the exception uh, with, uh, I'm getting to that oh sorry like a lot of like the really fun like pretty much if you don't want to play Jackbox that's you're kind of stuck with like if you yeah. if you have more than eight people you're pretty much stuck with just the Jackbox like rubric which isn't bad but sometimes like we just have so many big groups of people that yeah Jackbox essentially just become their only video game option if you want to include everyone. And granted, there are four going on five of them and they each yeah. contain four games, but if you want to change up no, the yeah, formula, and, and, you're stuck because you can't. Yeah, yeah, and for the most part, like, I mean, they're all really, really fun, 
But like if you break it down, like for the most part, they're all just voting games where you all just try to write the funniest thing and yeah. you try to get everyone to vote. Well, the but new the exception one, of them, um, yeah, the new one does have like a has a trivia. Well, there's already trivia. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they're all they're either all ver- a variation of trivia yeah. or commenting and voting. You're right. The new one does have an actual platformy looking like shooting game, which just looks interesting because huh. you're controlling it on your phone. That's very out of their wheelhouse. So I'm interested in like checking that out. Right. But yeah, it'd be nice to just have like something that isn't jackbox that we can play with a large group of people like rumbo had that but now you can only do it with not as many people i think only four because it took away the color master yeah and there's no gamepad well Ooh. also like rumbo used to support like nine people on one console because one person used the nunchuck and one oh no one person used it could the w- still in theory support eight because the switch can support eight controllers the problem is you can't have the ninth color master because there's no wii u gamepad yeah. for that alternate view I actually need to double check that really fast because I want to say it's less. But anyway, but that was pretty much it. I was just wondering if you. Yeah, knew. I, I'm not sure. That's I've never even seen the footage you're referring to. So it's on, it's on the trailers. Um, oh, if but, it's in a trailer, I, sup- I suppose it's support. But I'm, I'm you know, what? I'm oh no, yeah, yeah, but they just show like the mini game itself. They don't oh, say yeah, what yeah. it is or like they don't. I'm most excited to try the thing that requires using multiple switches in interesting ways, like having the screens split the image between them and stuff. Like you know, like the tank one where the screens. You you play the tanks between multiple screens and you lay them down. Oh, that's how. Angel, that's how. I just figured it out. The the dual switch modes. The modes where you have two switches and you do stuff together on both switches, like the tank game. Like I was just describing, that's how you get ten. You have five on one and five on the other. Then why would they just show one screen? Okay, that's fair. Okay. We'll find out in a week's time. <laughs> I thought I figured it out, but I'm excited for that mode. Because that'd be kind of weird. Like, if you have five on one, like, you have five on a TV, makes sense. So I guess you have the other five connected, but they still want them to look at... It's Never mind. It seems kind of messy. It's doable. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that is how I would imagine they would do Nintendo Land. You would. It'd be like, by force, you would need to have two switches, two switches and one switch mm-hmm. would act as gamepad, and everyone else would just look at the TV. Are you sure it wasn't Nintendo being like, look how much fun people are having watching? Because no. they've done that before. No, because the... It was literally just, like, footage of, like, everyone, like, dodging fire or some sort. And there was, like, ten people at once. Oh, uh, well. Or some large number. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. In the meantime, we've been playing stuff that we have actual answers for. Um, you've been playing an interesting game, kind of. Do you want to go first? It's, um... What was it called again? A Case of Distrust. Right. No, 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 no. That's not the full name. Ben Wander presents A Case of Distrust. Huh. Ben Wander. Ben Wander. He's presenting it, so I guess he's involved in some capacity. Um, no, I'll go second. Oh. <laughs> oh, you're still looking up Rumbo? Yeah. Fine. Oh, no, Rumbo with nine people on the Switch. Oh, okay. All right, well, then fine. I'll go first. So, I, you've been playing Case of Distrust. I've been playing uh, The Gardens Between. You may recall I was pretty excited to try this game when it was first shown in an indie showcase a month or so back talked it up here on the show and i guess word reached the folks involved with the game because they were nice enough to provide us with a review code so the tldr of these impressions is that 100 percent delivers on the prize in the trailer and i'd argue it goes beyond that and i'd say it's really good but the deeper impressions are that uh basically the premise is you play as a pair of friends who somehow end up on a series of islands that are comprised of objects from their own memories and childhood or to be more precise you don't really control the pair of friends. You don't play as them. You play the time around those two characters. So they're on a set path and moving forward and backward. And you control that flow either by tilting the control stick left or right or by using um, ZLZR. Personally, I found the stick to be the way to go. But either way, um, you, that's how you move the flow of time. And the only other control you have 
is by making the characters interact with specific parts of the level. So one character holds a lantern and you need its light to build bridges and lower barriers to get to each level's end gate and stuff like that. And the other can ring bells that are set around the island and those bells give you more precise control over specific objects. And that second part is crucial because that's kind of the wrinkle in the gameplay of the Guardians Between. In that you're not only able to control the overall flow of time, but also the flow of time for individual objects on the island. So if you ring a bell, it'll highlight a specific object or a set of objects that you can control while the rest of the island's time remains still. It's kind, And then it's kind of like a one-two punch of time manipulation where you have puzzles that need to both use the time change for one item and the time change mechanic for the island as a whole, and you kind of do them in tandem. Like in some cases, the path may be blocked by physical objects or divides or whatever, and in others, it's blocked by more mystical things that only the lantern can trigger. And it's usually a combo of these two things that you need to work through and how they play off each other to get to the end. And that's where it can get really fun. So it also leads to some of the cleverest level design and best aha moments I've had in a while in a game. I mean, since you're manipulating time, you obviously can see the outcome and go back and undo it and try something else and move forward and move backwards. But you need to get real clever with seeing how all the things can have kind of a domino effect on each other to succeed and then move past that point in the island. So you've got to think things like, what's the, ne- the right time to stop time? Or do you have the right thing in the right place when you stop time? Or what does moving object X do to object Y and how can that get you to goal Z? Like that sort of stuff. To give you an idea of what I mean, because that's kind of abstract, there's one level early on, and obviously this is one of the simpler puzzles because it's early on, where there's a pile of Jenga blocks that are blocking your path. And you ring the bell, use time to rewind just those Jenga blocks, and you move on. But later in that same level, you know, a couple steps further, a few minutes later, whatever, you realize those blocks actually are also part of a broader process that is needed to lower a light to your lantern to lift the shield that blocks the ending of the level. So now you need to go back and manipulate those same blocks but in a different way. And what's cool is the level had both those necessary actions built right into it. You, The level was built in a way that if you manipulate the blocks way one, you get past them. If you manipulate, manipulate it way two... It plays nice with what you did in way one, but also triggers something different. Everything kind of ebbs and flows around the developers knowing you need to perform both these actions at different times. But you as the player don't necessarily realize it until the time comes that you need to solve it. And then as you go through it, like, oh, oh, you do that? Oh, that's clever. Oh, okay, I get it. So that, that's kind of like the whole cool thing about it. Like another probably better example is slightly later on in the game. Still pretty early because I don't really want to spoil the more elaborate puzzles. But basically, you need to manipulate time forward to plug in a power cord. Or I think actually you manipulate the time backwards. You rewind time to plug in a power cord that unplugged from a TV or something like that. So you ring the bell. You, I guess, yeah, reverse time just to move the power cord to plug into the TV. You then hop back to controlling the full time span of the entire island, rewind it again, and now this newly powered VCR that wasn't plugged in before is plugged in. And if you move forward, once you move back to that VCR, if you now move time forward, because it's plugged in, it can eject a VHS tape if you press a button on a remote that you walk past. So you do that, VHS tape pops out, and boom, now you have a ramp to proceed up a hill you couldn't previously get to. And then, when you get to that hill, you're now ringing a different bell that will quote-unquote play a fake-looking NES at the top of that hill by manipulating time up there. And if you move that in reverse, the game will actually spit out light that you need to collect to get in your lantern to move further to again beat the level so this whole kind of integrate inter crazy integrated like oh like one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing it's one of those things that when you start the level you see all the components 
but the way they fit together only becomes clearer as you go through it and as you solve stuff and even then that requires some clever puzzle solving just to like do the right thing and once you succeed at that it's kind of cool just to look back and see how all the pieces were there from the start they're all lying dormant they're just waiting and then they kind of become over the course of the game this like on the fly Rube, Gold mach- uh, Rube Goldberg machine that you're building and that's kind of where it's cool and none of this is particularly hard it's just all very clever and as I touched on before since you can rewind you're never really stuck you just keep manipulating things in different ways until you find the right answer and as such I wouldn't really describe the game's difficulty level as like hard or easier I think I'd say it's more like you're just experiencing it like you're it's kind of like a traditional puzzle game in that way but also isn't in the sense of there's no score there's no time there's no lives you just kind of see what happens and see where the game takes you and see what sort of crazy ideas they have to make things you're expecting to behave one way suddenly behave a second way or a third way or a fourth way based on what you're doing in the level. It also helps that the whole vibe of the game really adds to the experience. It all has kind of this like dreamlike quality, these you know, like from the aesthetic of the visuals to like the ambient sounds, very minimalist sound and music. Um, they do this neat thing with HD rumble wherever there's kind of like that warpy bass warble you hear in a lot of movie trailers today. Like that boom. They use that in the game sometimes, but then they rumble, HD rumble perfectly in sync with it. So it's just kind of this cool visceral thing. Um, and as you go island to island, you slowly start to learn more about these kids and their memories. You don't really learn it through dialogue or in-your-face storytelling. Um, how it works is you collect, you know, you're going through the islands. You collect, you don't really collect, but you solve each puzzle. And when you get to the island, every out-of-place objects, like the giant VHS, the giant NES, whatever, they end up being compiled after completing all the stages per island into like this little vignette of what of this memory the kids had from the past. So it's like, oh, that's why there's this specific thing and that specific thing because the kids were playing NES together one night like in a tree house or something. And it's all like, you know, very abstract. It's not a real heavy story, but it's kind of cool. And it's all very well done. It's very polished. It definitely captures this. This is going to sound really cheesy. I'm sorry, but it captures kind of like that old school childlike wonder feel where you have stuff you own. I don't know if you remember doing this as a kid. You have stuff you own and you know its purpose. It's like the NES you use to play NES games. But then maybe you're doing something with some toys one time and suddenly the NES controller is like, oh, it's a hoverboard for the people as they fly around or whatever. Wow. Like I'm giving an example from when I was a kid. But my wow. point is this does that where it's like you're seeing all these things that you know how they work, but then the way you manipulate time around them changes their purpose and changes how they work. And it's kind of cool to see that captured in a video game like that. So yeah, it's 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 very charming. It's it's fun. It's twenty bucks. I'd say it's easily worth the asking price. It's I enjoyed it, as you can tell. Like I think it's a really clever mechanic. It's not the best level design I've seen in a long time. Wow. Because of that whole like defying expectations of how things work. Wow. So yeah, that is in a nutshell the Guardians Between. The pretty big nut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like a, a very happy squirrel. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so how about Ben Wander presents a case of distrust. Ben Wanders, A Case of Distrust. If I... I described earlier how Ace Attorney was the bridge between video games and graphic novels. Um, a case of A Case of Distrust would go somewhere between Ace Attorney and books. Because it's... Or Ace Attorney was like... I mean, it's a story-driven. There's a lot of reading. But for the most part, like, the character, the character portraits are front and center. They're very lively animated. You, I mean, they they pretty much tell you what you're looking at. This uh-huh. one is extremely minimalistic. Like going in, um, 
I, and oh, just like Jason, like I also got a review code. Look at us. We're like moving up. Look at us. Look at us. You can't uh, see us because we're audio, but just yeah. look at your play button. Just admire. actually look at our me's. I mean, yeah. they did. Um, I mean, when I got the email, like they had me at like, oh, if you're a fan of Ace Attorney, and I'm like, well, I'm a fan of Ace Attorney. Might as well. I feel story. like you were. I feel like you were not. Well, I guess I am. You'd be like, I am. You'd be very aggressive about it. I feel uh, like I was, you're a big fan of Ace. Attorney. I, I was the the former. All right. Um, but yeah, so. Very much like Ace Attorney or any of those, like, um, I guess, 2D point-and-click adventure games. Uh-huh. Um, you play as a detective, Miss um, Malone, and she has a very mysterious past, and you're just kind of piecing that together from things that you read in the environment. But like I said, it's extremely minimalistic. Everything is a silhouette. So on one hand, like, right off the bat, you don't really know what you're looking at sometimes. Like, what what, what is a stack of papers might... What is supposed to be a stack of papers might not really look like a stack of papers too because you just see the silhouette. Mm-hmm. And and when you tap on everything and you and keep on you can use the touch screen to tap on things, but it's kind of weird because your finger is pretty big and it's it's not nothing can replace like a good stylus. So I mean there are stylus there are styli styluses for styli. there are styli for the switch. I guess you could use any like of those like stylus with the rubber tip at the end, but. You could tell this game was designed for a mouse and keyboard. Right. Like, there's no going around that. Like, using the analog stick works, and because of the nature of the game, you are never under any time constraint to actually, like... It just doesn't feel natural. I mean, you're never going to lose or get anything wrong because of the analog stick, because inherently you could play it at your own pace. But that is something just to keep in mind. Right. But yeah, since everything's in silhouette, as you're moving your cursor around everything, um, things you can interact with highlight, and that gives you the complete silhouette of it, and it makes it clear what it is. And when you click on it, there's you just begin reading. There's a ton of text. Like there's, is it so if if the menus aren't optimized so much for Switch, are is the text like is it really small on the Switch, but okay on TV, or did they sort of scale it appropriately? No, well, I mean like the there's something that you tap that sometimes feels small, like. But Overall, the text uh, itself is fine. Yeah, the text itself that's is fine. Rocket League has. I, I mean, when you're when you're in the environment and you're tapping, like you're seeing what you can interact with, that's right. all fine. Okay. The only part where it was kind of like slightly finicky was um, like as you interact with things, this is like my only. Nitpick. I mean, a yeah, nitpick. It really is just a nitpick because like you're like, oh, I guess this is how it's doing it. It's not. <laughs> it's not so much of like, oh, it's, this. it's not game breaking. Yeah, because in Ace Attorney, whenever like you interact with something that progresses the game, you'll get like a little chime. And it'll literally like shove this thing up your face that says like you found a new clue. It little description. Good find, for you. You video gamed. Yeah, find look, find it in the court record. This one, like the game starts. I, I really don't want to spoil anything about it just because even the way it starts, like it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Like even if it's so, even if even if it could be considered minor, but regardless, like you're just, you're asked to prove something to someone in the beginning, and. At first, I'm like, all right, I guess I should look for evidence. So I talk, I pretty much interact with everything I could find in the room. And I never got that chime indicator. Like, I was just reading things. Sometimes I get asked, like, branching paths. Like, like oh, I'm reading about these old case files. And then I get the option, do, do I start to reminisce about my current case? Or do I start to reminisce about cases from a long time ago? Mm-hmm. And so the one you pick... This is the only info you're going to get. You're not going to know about that case from a long time ago. You're going to have to piece <laughs> that yourself. Right. Which I kind of like. Like, it makes it more like, oh, I guess it keeps this character Malone mysterious. Like, what happened to her dad? What happened to her? What's going on? But 
essentially when it came down to like present the evidence um i wasn't aware that it was all already cataloged automatically like i was expecting like to get the uh, time somewhere i see your point about it's less gamey than uh yeah, somewhere so, between a book and a game and ace attorney yeah because it was like all text like you get like when you're talking to someone um they do get like a a giant silhouette of them all you can really see is just their mouth and right. i guess like a facial feature but and they don't really move that much like it's it's really about the text and you're going to be reading a, it's yeah, it's like you're reading a screenplay on your TV. Going in, let's say, if you don't know Ace Attorney, it sounds very nice that auto catalogs. Like, if you're like, didn't someone say something like that? And it's there for you. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, like, like they're, um, when you open up the notebook, um, which is the part where I feel like using the, the finger gets a little finicky because there are tabs on the bottom that are really small. Mm-hmm. And that changes between evidence, um, like character profiles that you've met, and notes, I think. Mm. There's like a third option. Right. And when I went to evidence, it's like, oh, it's all there. But like, I, I would have appreciated like some minor feedback, even if it's sure. like a little chime or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, not now. I know it's always there. But yeah, like when I, I mean, went, you have to pay attention to every single. Yeah, word that means when I went to the character and then it said like, all right, present the evidence, and then I went to the thing, and then I clicked on it and well, right. tapped on it, right. and then it worked. And yeah, so I'm like, all right. So other than that, it is essentially an attorney game. Like it has so far. I mean. It has good writing. Like it kept me, it kept me intrigued with the character, mm-hmm. well at least with the detective character. And I don't know, it has an interesting vibe to it. It feels like, um, like a very noir, like kind of story. I mean, it, you could tell it's definitely set, like in uh, that era. Yeah, in that kind of era. But I don't know, definitely curious to see where it goes. And I mean, I would definitely recommend it, especially if you like, yeah, Ace Attorney point and click adventure games. It's really just like a you just want a good mystery, basically. And it's not... It's like, what, 15? Something like that? I'm not percent sure. I think it's 15. But I will say that um, just like Ace Attorney and any other of those games, if you're in any bit tired, um, it will, like, knock you out. Like, you will fall asleep. <laughs> well, that's true of anything with reading. I yeah, mean, people like, fall asleep reading books. Yeah, because usually, like, one of my favorite things to do was, like... It was kind of like a ritual. Like, an hour before I go to sleep, I would just, like, wind down with Ace Attorney until I fall asleep. And his attorney would work mainly like especially the newer race attorneys where they put more emphasis on the animation. There's like actual cutscenes and it's like there's almost less emphasis on the reading the more you go. Mm-hmm. But eventually it does do the job and puts you to sleep. This one though I don't because... know if that's the job it wants to do, but I guess it does that job anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's the job I'm giving it. Yeah. And it's doing You're awesome signing job. it. And this one on the other hand is like pretty much all text. Right. Like like I said, there's just silhouettes of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there isn't really much to look at, just pretty silhouettes in the back. But the majority is all text, like blocks of white text that you're going to be reading a lot of. Right. So if you're, so don't play lying down because you'll fall asleep. Do like three shots of espresso and then dive right into a case of distress. Yeah, maybe might be better to play it in handheld mode more than anything on the TV. But I You mean on the, the TV more than in handheld mode? Because uh, I feel like if you're in handheld oh, mode and you're like yeah. out somewhere, yeah, like, sitting on a park bench, yeah, like, like trying like, to avoid crows eating your like face. Like if you're like sitting like in your, um, like in the couch, like out. If you have like a like a patio or porch right. or something, like it seems like a nice game to just like, yeah, read it, like you know, instead of a book. To be honest, screw in many ways, yeah, <laughs> screw books. We're a video game podcast, but to be honest, like, um, not to this extent, but books. the Gardens Between is also very chill. Like you're solving puzzles and stuff, but it's very like it's so like relaxed that it could also fit this bill of like a good game for a summer evening we say as we enter fall 
we really missed the boat on summer this time. But yeah, it, it yeah. So you recommend it? Yeah. And I recommend Hopefully mine. you like it so you don't develop a case of distrust with us. How long have you been saying on that joke? How many days ago did you like, like two go, seconds? Oh. Uh, I see for me I feel like some of the jokes I like think of forever ago and then just sit on and wait and wait. And oh. then you say the wrong setup to it and I can never say it. And then I've been sitting on jokes for like five years that no one will ever hear. But who knows? Maybe in our next episode. Are you saying you developed a case of distrust? I might have. In our in our next episode on October fourteenth, maybe my jokes will finally be set free. I actually can't think of a single one that I'm referencing right now, but but yeah, we're back on October fourteenth. This pretty much does it for this episode. And if we're not, hopefully you don't develop a case of distrust. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but assuming you trust us, we will. Assuming Ben Wander doesn't help you develop a case of mistrust, we'll be back on October fourteenth. We're gonna have impressions of Super Mario Party. We're gonna answer the question of how do you play with ten people. We'll have impressions. I'll have impressions at least of Dragalia Lost. I'm excited to jump into that new mobile RPG from Nintendo Inside Games. Came out like. 36, 48 yeah. hours ago. See, as I'm showing Jason right now, here's an image of... Is this it, the Mario Party thing? It's a Mario Party minigame, just an image. But it just has, like, over 12 characters, and they're all, like... Have you ever considered that some are computer-generated? No, yeah, I mean, they could be, <laughs> but... Because not all of them have balloons. Only four have balloons. No, like... The rest do not have balloons. No, some of them are popped. Half of them have hammers, and half of them have balloons, because half are running away, and the other so half... So I'm just going to go ahead and say something crazy, and you're going to be like, oh, you ready? Sorry, guys, you don't have to tune in next episode for this answer. I'm going to tell you right here, right now. The ones with the balloons are the players are actually playing, and the computer is controlling all the hammer people. And that's why four have balloons, and the rest do not. Pop four, though. It is four. One, two, three, four. What looks like a fifth balloon is a shy guy behind the red balloon. There are only four balloons. Plot twist: only two people are playing. Oh wait, wait! There's footage of it. Everyone, listen to us talk about footage you can't see. So there's just two guys. It's on the wait. Yeah, there's four balloons. Oh, dude, it's super obvious. It's a 2v2 game, and they're playing with two computers. Because there's two red and two green, and the reds are running around, and the greens are running around. And the other guys are obstacles in the level, I think. I don't know. We'll we'll get to the bottom well, of to it. Be fair, we will do Ram Nintendo, an investigation for next episode. Well, I mean, also, but to be fair, the, this actually wasn't the minigame that I remember seeing footage of earlier. Oh, okay. This is just one that I discovered now that I'm like, oh, this is another one that looks like it has a lot of right. people. Okay, that's fair. So but, we'll get to the bottom of Super Mario Party and all its weird stuff. We will make sure that you can continue to trust us and Ben and Wander not and not develop a case of distrust. If you tune on October 14th, and like I said, we're also getting impressions of Dragalia Lost. I'm excited to try that out. Uh, we'll have more news, games, whatever to discuss. So make sure you don't miss it. And make sure you Did don't actually really come out already. It came out on Thursday, yeah. Oh wow! And also make sure you don't develop a case of mistrust by distrust. somehow distrust. Wow, I can't even do the joke. No, I'm developing a case of distrust. I can't with even do the joke. Ability to speak. The point is, you can follow us on various socials if you want to. Make sure you don't miss it. You can find us on YouTube at Ram Nintendo Com and subscribe to us there. You can follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. You can also subscribe to us on everything and anything that includes iTunes or sorry, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts. Wrong music. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. We're Pocket Cast. We're there. We're everywhere. We're watching you at all times. You should develop a case of distrust about us. But anyway, yes, we'll be back on October 14th. That does it for this episode. I can already see Angels digging deeper to find more examples of Mario Party, having 10 players, which I still don't know if I believe. I'm developing a case of distrust right now. Uh, Any final words for our lovely listeners, Angel? Don't develop a case of distrust. 